Okay, so we have the radio tuner. That doesn't matter, because get a load of this. All right, if you get stopped by a cop in Amsterdam, it's illegal for them to search you. I mean, that's the right the cops in Amsterdam don't have. Oh, man, I'm going. Thought that's all there is to it. I'm fucking going. <laughs> I know, baby. You dig it the most. You know what the funniest thing about a podcast is? What? It's the little differences. A lot of the same shit we hear here, radio does too, but it's just a little different. Example? All right, when you... In the studio, you just talk and record. And I don't mean in between songs or commercials, either. You talk about anything and record it. You know what they call the things you hear podcasts on? They don't call them receivers? No, they use antenna. They won't know what the fuck a gigabyte is. What do they call them? Mobile and streaming devices. <laughs> Mobile and streaming devices. What do they call commercials? Well, commercials are commercial, but they call them sponsored ads. <laughs> sponsored ads. Well, what do you call your show? I don't know. I didn't think that far ahead. And we're back again for you. Welcome, everybody, to Over Under Fair, the final word in pop culture relevance. I'm here with some of the usual suspects, although we're not talking about that today. Uh, Producer Roger, how you doing? Fantastic. Good, good, as always. I like your hat, guy. Thank you. That's uh, the beer beer hung. Beer hung? No, the the beer dung hammers. That's the uh, (laughs) West Michigan's doing a uh, beer night special. Sure. And they're renaming the team. The, so the Whitecaps are the Beer Dung Hammers. All right. So there you go. Feels like a lateral move, but I'll accept it. Uh, speaking of moving laterally, Lacey McGraw, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm killing the segues right now. That's how I'm doing. Feeling pretty good about it. I only mentioned that uh, Roger's wearing a hat because we're being recorded today. Because we have brought into the studio the host of The Laugh Track, another SRD podcast, Spence and Gabe. Say hi, gentlemen. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you guys doing? It's an honor to be here. No, It's an honor for us. Uh, I'm really glad we had a little bit of a chance to reach out to each other. We both work in sort of the same sphere here in pop cultural topicking, and we thought it would be cool to take advantage of that, get some time together, and talk about something that we all wanted to talk about. And uh, we all decided we wanted to talk about Quentin Tarantino, so that is what we got in the room for. Um, We kind of came across, we kind of got to this topic because he has announced a new movie, Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, will be coming out next year. It is covering the uh, the Sharon Tate LaBianca murders, which happened by the time this movie is released, fifty years to the day of the release. So that's cute, I guess. But ultimately, you know, there's a lot to cover here. Quentin Tarantino is a man of note and a man of controversy. So we wanted to, in our fashion, go over and take the time to discuss, you know, his works, his, you know, his uh, imprint on the culture, and kind of where we think he fits. So. As we typically start, uh, we like to start the top of the show by saying whether or not, coming into this, we had an opinion about him, and I think we all do. So uh, we'll start with our guest here, Spence. Overrated, underrated, fairly rated Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino as a whole, I actually put as underrated. 
Um, despite him being one of the most popular directors, probably, I mean, of all time, he's on so many of like the top directors of all time lists. Everybody knows his name. Everybody knows most of his projects. Um, with that said, I put him as underrated just because I feel like outside of the film scope, a lot of people don't really understand his uh, what his movies encompass. Like my mom, for example, she isn't looking forward to the next Quentin Tarantino movie. The average Joe isn't necessarily looking forward to the next Quentin Tarantino movie. And I think that's just because uh, people don't really involve themselves or indulge themselves into his movies as much as like people who actually like and enjoy and actively go out of their way to watch movies. Right. So like my mom will watch a... You know, Django and Chance, she'd be like, that was the most awful movie I've ever seen. Your mom's not too far yeah. off. And I'll be I mean, like, depending on how you're watching the movie. Well, I'm yeah, sure. but I'm like, there's there's a lot more to it than just, um, you know, glorified violence. And All right, we will discuss that for yeah, sure. Gabe, how about you? <clears throat> I'm going to have to go, and not a, not a cop-out, but I think he's pretty fairly rated because... It's, it's not a cop-out. I mean, it's in it's, the show title, so it's, it's an right, option. right down the line where it's, you either love him or you hate him. You're going to get your swears and your violence and all that, and your you know, three-hour-long movies with just dialogue-driven you know, content. Sure. And you're going to either like it or you're going to hate it. And I think that's kind of where he's just fairly rated because it kind of divides the public. Yeah, he's pretty popular, but... Yeah, popularity comes with divisiveness, though, absolutely. They, they can walk hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, Lacey? I'm walking the line between fairly rated and overrated. Um, I think his movies are fun to watch for the most part. <laughs> Django Unchained, not not included there. Um, but I think most of his movies are fun to watch. You know, he, it's all style over substance, though, I would say. and um, That's a knock he gets a lot. So What's that? That's a knock he gets a lot. It's yeah, definitely something I mean, it, it. I think it's a fair criticism, but also um, kind of problematic, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Some of his yes. stuff is problematic. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, I'm, I'm walking the line between fairly rated because I think his movies are really popular and they're popular for a reason because they're really fun to watch. But I also think overrated in a way because, like I said, style over substance. Yeah. All flash, you know, but. I get you. Producer Roger. I would go underrated, fairly rated, under, and I, I borderline <laughs> too. And I say that, and I, I stole Lacey's uh, phrase for it because I, I think that if you look at some of his movies as a whole, and I think it depends on your generation uh, or your age. He takes a lot from older movies. And this is a guy who literally was doing what we're doing in the early 90s, working at a video store. And he was writing and he was, he was influenced by a lot of different things. You could see it in all his movies, which made me kind of go back to seeing some of the older movies he did and all the influences he got from. So I think that's kind of lost upon, which I think makes him underrated. But I think fairly rated, it, closer to that, though, is because he's done some fantastic work bringing back dialogue that I think sometimes was needed in, in a time where you look at movies coming out of the 80s where you had, I, I don't know, I think the 80s in terms of cinema, give or take, some of them, some movies were classic, some of them were just, the 90s didn't really have a, the 90s really either, it just, I don't know. But it didn't it have just, a voice. Yeah, it didn't have Quentin a voice. Tarantino yeah. kind of gave it one. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. And I Not think, to put words in your mouth. But, but no, it, it lacked, yeah, it, you know, it gave it, like, it gave indie movies a direction, a purpose. Sure. You know, and it influenced a lot of other people later on in some bad Tarantino ripoffs. So, you know, that's that's where I stand. So about fairly rated? About, about fairly yeah. rated, a little bit underrated. I will tell you coming in to recording this, prior to having gone and done some rewatching and stuff, Quentin Tarantino was on the very short list of like my favorite filmmakers ever, uh, top four or five easily. I think, I think 
I'm going to say, starting right now, that I say he was fairly rated coming into this. Like, the, the approach to this was, yeah, I want to talk about Quentin Tarantino. He's a guy I like a lot. I love all of his movies. I respect his work. So, over the course of us talking about stuff, that may change. But with, you know, coming into the time of me seeing it, you know, which is where we'll start, you know, in the early 90s, I was of age to where I think I was at a point where I wanted to see something else than what I was seeing. And Quentin Tarantino gave you all of that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know the giant, like the width of our age groups here, but I'm in my mid thirties. You guys are a little younger than me though. Yeah. I'm 22. 20, yeah. 24. She's a lot younger yeah. than me. All right. Baby. So yeah. Uh, having, having Baby. been, al- having been alive and watching these while I was a teenager as they came out, uh, that, it put such an impression on me as to what it was I was looking for in film and what, how I would watch film and how I even thought about film. Like it, it did a lot of that for me, Quentin Tarantino specifically. And I can't underrate him because that seems in my mind it, coming into this. It wasn't, it wasn't anywhere I was like thinking there was no way, but as we go through it, I think maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the both aspects of the argument, but um, the best place to start as it ever is, is the beginning. So, you know, Quentin Tarantino's a guy. He's a big giant fucking nerd hanging out and working in video stores and cultivating a giant massive knowledge about all things cinema, you know, from all over the world, all sorts of off the radar stuff that people really weren't talking about or making reference to. So <clears throat> I mean it's fair to say he kind of comes out of nowhere in the early nineties and his first you know, he he does a he does a couple of smaller things, but we're not going to talk about any of that shit because it doesn't matter. So the first anything of substance film is Reservoir Dogs in 1992, um, and it sets the template for pretty much everything that we're going to ever see from Quentin Tarantino. Big ensemble cast, lots of dialogue, whole lot of swearing, a lot of violence, pretty ve- visceral graphic violence, and a certain level of quote unquote cool that is like associated directly with him and he's sort of the progenitor of this stuff these types of movies exist prior to reservoir dogs but no one thinks about them before reservoir dogs like it's it's a big indie hit it you know it gets a whole lot of buzz it generates a lot of attention for this guy who up until now was writing screenplays and not really seeing a lot of this pan out so um yeah man reservoir dogs Somebody say something about it. It also kind of introduced the whole nonlinear storytelling that he likes. To sure. Do as well. Yep. I forgot about that. Good point. Yep. I uh, I saw that movie obviously years after it was released because I was like you know a kid when it came out. Mm. But um, I remember people kind of talking it up to me. And, oh, so there's such this graphic scene and stuff. And I watched it and I'm so desensitized that I was just like. Yeah. But I, I kind of feel like I should have went back and watched it like within the last week because I was mentioning to J- uh, Dave as we were watching, uh, we went back and watched a couple of his movies. And I was like, I think in my old age, I'm starting to get kind of like squeamish to, to some of the, the yeah. movie violence. So like maybe I, maybe I should go, but I should have went back and watched it. But I just remember, th- I mean, it was a cool movie. You know what I mean? It was, it was, I enjoyed the watch, but like, honestly, that part with the, what's the damn song? Stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. That's fucking stupid. I'm sorry. It's, it's just a fucking stupid scene. Like, you, you're dan- He's like, da- I. Like, it's super gratuitous as well, but it happens, like, the ear cutting happens off screen. That is something that is true in the initial run of Quentin Tarantino stuff. Most of the really bad violence is implied. Like, you don't see the ear being cut off. You just see it missing. You and don't you see the ear. Right. And you see it when he tosses it. Like, he does a lot to misdirect your your perception of what happens because like you can talk you know briefly channeling forward you can talk about a movie like pulp fiction which is violent but 
some of the more violent things are definitely not seen on screen. And some of the stuff that is alluded to, you think in your mind you saw, but it isn't actually seen. So he does a very good job of making you feel like the movies are much worse than they actually are. But it is not to say that it doesn't exist. There is still a gunfight. You know, yeah. like that stuff happens. You know, and I kind of love when directors do that when they like you're getting ready to see something and the camera pans away, but it tricks your yeah. mind into thinking that you saw it. You know what I mean? No, I mean he. Like I love that, but <clears throat> at the same time, like. He shows a real adeptness right away for what it is he's trying to elicit from his audience and how to do that. Like he's he's very good, um, you know, from the onset of like being able to film a film. <laughs> like it's you know it's making it's making the right choices. It's making the right decisions when to when to cut away and when to show things. Which actually feels like it would be important to mention here that this begins his. Uh, her lifelong relationship until she passes with Sally Menke, his film editor, mm-hmm. who will edit every one of his movies until her untimely passing. And I feel like Sally Menke does not get the requisite credit that she deserves for the Tarantino-ness of Tarantino, mm-hmm. because 90% of what makes his film so good is the editing, and she is, she's party to that. Like, it's, he's, yeah. it's a one-to-one thing. Like, the two of them make these movies the way they are and what i think what was the that, last film of his that she edited uh, the last one she did was inglorious bastards so okay. she would she would pass at, during between the making of that and django so that was the last one that she did okay i think reservoir dogs is like one of the like when i envision what a perfect debut film is for a director uh, i think of reservoir dogs and i think of it because not so much that it was incredible or amazing um i think it's very well done i think it's an awesome film but it's got like a very niche feel to me of like this it almost feels like a college produced film like that from a director that had just a sheer on like raw talent um you know it's not crazy overproduced but it's got a lot of those like raw movie elements that we want like a macguffin it's got the shock value it's got the writing and the script it's got the actors and when you mentioned earlier like his the the coolness mm-hmm. that Tarantino carries with him like the guys in the suits you know all walking together in a code game. names yeah, yeah code <laughs> like, names yeah. right it's like it's it's just such a cool uh, raw debut film and it's like you know, when we look at uh, movies like, for example, um, Inglorious Bastards that are produced very well, you know, very HD and very graphic, mm-hmm. um, Reservoir Dogs is one that, you know, you can tell he was really, he had his role, he had his vision, and he uh, executed it with just sheer, like, tenacity. And uh, and you can really tell, like, this is, like, that's why, to me, it's the perfect debut film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that you brought up um, your growth and love for movies growing with Tarantino as he dropped movies. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, for me, I didn't get heavy into watching movies until, like, high school, end of high school. And by that time, you know, uh, like, Inglourious was already out, you know? Yeah. Um, And so to go back and watch all those movies when I have all the other, you know, all these other films outside of Tarantino even that have those elements, uh, it's interesting that I still uh, see and love his style. Right. Even though, like, like, because he is unique despite... Um, him having all these glorified elements, like it's uh, great. <laughs> yeah. What no, was I can't the, What was the first Tarantino movie you ever saw? That's a good question. Oh, Put that around the table. Pop, we'll start with probably you. Pulp, fi- Pulp Fiction. Pulp I think. Fiction. Yeah. What about you? I want to say probably Reservoir Dogs. Okay. I I'm trying to think. I really don't know. It was it, Reservoir it, it Dogs for me had, too. I think so. I think it was probably Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Pulp, probably because I saw Pulp Fiction and then I ended up like going back and watching yeah. Reservoir Dogs. I saw Reservoir Dogs first by virtue of having like a nerdy film couple of friends, and by the time Pulp Fiction was a thing, 
they were like, oh, I have this VHS copy of Reservoir Dogs. I'm like, oh, I'll watch that. I haven't seen any of his movies yet. Yeah. What's a VHS? So. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Jesus, fuck off. Get out. <laughs> and just so you guys know this, because I know Dave and Roger know this, but like, I am not a huge movie watcher. Like, I'm, I'm like a casual, but I've seen every Tarantino movie, except the only one I hadn't seen was Django Unchained, and I watched it with Dave. But I'm not like a huge, like, Oh, my love for film. No. Sure. I watch movies and I'm like, I'm like the box office, like, bait, like, <laughs> oh, a cool trailer. It definitely speaks to his importance, though, if you've seen all yeah, of his movies without being think, someone like, that's, like, super into yeah, all of them. Yeah, I'm not. You know, definitely. I go to a, a movie once every once, you know, every once in a great while. Um, I agreed to go see The Hateful Eight with Dave thinking I was going to see The Red- Ridiculous six. <laughs> I was just trying to. I was just trying to be a good friend, you know. I was trying seven. to be a bro. Yeah, I didn't even know. As if was, I would ever yeah. fucking willingly go <laughs> pay money to watch an Adam Sandler movie. I know. Now I, that's, anyway. I was really super confused about it. Like he asked me to go see it, and I was like, I guess. And then he came and picked me up, and we were like in the parking lot before I realized he was like, Oh, it's Tarantino. I was like, What are we going to see? We're not seeing a comedy. Yeah, you mean we're not seeing a, a goofy comedy? Thank. Thank God, but also... My love for Tarantino really grew a lot in high school. I had, uh, like, a TV pro class, Mm -hmm. and um, I kind of took it as, like, an elective. Like, oh, like, let me just mess around with the camera. And then I, like, ended up really liking it. And my transition from, like, TV pro to, like, the advanced TV pro classes uh, really came in with my... Uh, like my group was very big fans of Tarantino, yeah. And so we went back and watched all of his old films, and I was like, "Dude, I was like, this is genius. Let's just let's just make great movies." And we made a bunch of crap, but like you know, you got to start somewhere, though. I mean, yeah. like it, it's important to get to get in the door. You have to make what you want to make. Like you grow just by making what it is you're trying to set out to make. Absolutely, so, and, and he is testament to that. Yeah, and like, and he was one of those directors that like I really was able to uh, piece like, oh, these are why uh like you can tell uh this director made this movie like he was one of the first directors where i could actually like watch a movie and be able to tell that like it was this director like a wes anderson film you know they're so unique and abstract that like um that you're just able to like just just click with it. yeah even when he isn't making them like you know this is it's good to point out at this time that he is still he writes movies as well as directs them you know that's like kind of his thing um so when he isn't directing them he's still writing them and then you get uh, True Romance comes out the next year in 93. We don't have to go over it super in-depth as it's not like a Quentin Tarantino movie directed by uh, Tony Scott. But he write, he wrote the movie. It's fucking obvious he wrote the movie. If right. you you know listen to the dialogue for 13 seconds, you're like, this sounds an awful lot like Quentin Tarantino. Well, because it is. Let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. <laughs> I'd go over 12% for that. Um, I will. Can I, the only thing about Reservoir Dogs that I wanted to say was, in terms of you talk about dialogue, it kind of ties into the fact that the coffee shop conversation about tipping Right. I feel like mm-hmm. when you're in high school or you're younger, I feel like you could relate because it felt like a like coming off a fact that as you know in your adolescence you watch a movie. When I watched a current Tarantino movie, I felt like I was watching an adult movie in a sense of like it just dialogues like okay, I would see myself saying that rather when you you know yippee yippee Kaye and, and Die Hard or something like that. Along those like I know that's a completely different younger. I feel like you could relate because it felt like a like coming off a fact that as 
you know, in your adolescence, you watch a movie. When I watched a current Tarantino movie, I felt like I was watching an adult movie in a sense of like it just dialogues. Like, okay, I would see myself saying that rather when you, you know, yippee yippee Kaye and, and Die Hard or something like that. Along those, like I know that's a completely different genre, but still, I think Tarantino that that whole scene about the tipping it just it cracks me up because it's like yeah I feel like I would have that argument with somebody at Ramos morning at three o'clock. In the morning. What's hilarious about I guess if we're gonna you know we can loop in true romance with this too because it absolutely fits. What's hilarious about the dialogue of Quentin Tarantino and the nature of Quentin Tarantino's dialogue is that there are a lot of people that say like oh well yeah that's like how people talk. Nobody fucking talks like that. At least they didn't then. Like Quentin Tarantino's uh, fucking habits as a screenwriter have extenuated now into actual conversation, like constantly making references to things outside of your age group or your purview of the world. You know, like in movies where he has his like 22 year old female characters talking about blind swordsman Satoichi. Nobody fucking knows what that is. (laughs) And yet somehow they're all here. Like listening to seven Quentin Tarantino's talk to each other in a movie can become tedious, but I still appreciate that given the time and no one fucking talked like that now we kind of do talk like that which is i don't know it's good and bad but i i understand what you're saying because i also kind of felt that way of like oh yeah me and my friends bullshit about dumb stuff like this yeah. but no one actually spoke like that yeah. like it was it was difficult for me to wrap my head around as i rewatched some of this like why did i ever think any of this was natural like right. none of this feels real it's- like it's so unnatural that it you can t- he has such a great cast sometimes and great actors but the way they deliver the lines it's st- you can't get around it like they can't work around his dialogue because well, and it's just so d- ridiculous dialogue like that like the coffee she- uh tipping scene yeah it's so like it brings you back down to earth after like uh, well, comparatively to the shock value of the rest of the movie, it's little things like that sure. where it's like people talking casually. It does kind of put you off for what it is you're going, you're coming into. Like, that happens yeah. at the beginning of the movie, yeah. so you're like, "Oh, this is fun," you it know, like, like grounds you. Like yeah. they're about to do a big heist. You, yeah. you don't get that feel. No, from not at all. Right. It is not the impression. They're right, just talking right. about not tipping. Which, by the way, tip your waitress. Yeah, always anyway, tip, guys. Wanted to make sure I looked at the camera for that. Do you guys consider this a heist movie, then, even though there's no actual heist? Sure. I mean, in the loosest sense of the word, yes. I mean, it, it, it's integral to the movie happening, so I feel like it would be unfair to not at least include it in that conversation. Right. You know? Because without that, without the central focus of that happening, it isn't a movie. Like, right. you need a reason to get all the players there. Mm-hmm. Um, so without the heist, it's a heist movie without the heist. Yep. You know, just in, in as much as Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Like, you know, it's cent- <laughs> it's central to the plot. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, it, does anybody have anything to say about True Romance? I mean, it's a movie that I like. I I don't cherish it, like, more than anything else. I actually but, have a lot to, no. <laughs> have you seen True Romance? No. There you go. He got a lot of Dennis Hopper, that's for sure. You sure did. He yeah. really did. No, it. he absolutely did. And him and Christopher Walken having, like, yeah. on-screen time is one of the coolest scenes of all of his stuff. Like, yeah. That's a that's a real coup. You know? <laughs> like, Considering too that Christopher Walken at the time came out here like you know came to New York playing some darker roles. Oh and sure, continue, and he continues that trend. But Dennis Hopper, it's the first time you see him outside of maybe Speed, where it was like he got a lot of screen time and he did <laughs> yeah. it really well. Yeah, chewing chewing some scenery. God bless Dennis Hopper. Rest in peace. Um, uh, blip, 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 blip. The the Tarantino ness of Tarantino is something that I think we can all we can we all we all experienced it. We can all talk about it right. at length because 1994 is the release of Pulp Fiction and whether or not you care like about the movie or the filmmaker, it is indelibly and unarguably 
the most important modern film of like the last 30 fucking years i mean easily like think of everything that happens after pulp fiction and trace it back to pulp fiction it's impossible to imagine a filmscape that exists without it anymore because it's that it's that impactful and it is still my personal favorite movie of his i i can't really find a way to talk around it without it being there every time i've I've tried to talk myself out of it but it's impossible um the movie is still great i've seen it more than any movie i've ever seen like it's it's certainly my most viewed movie of movies not even just tarantino movies uh speaking on a personal level it is very important to me and has been historically uh man where do you even go like where do you even start with pulp fiction like i mean anybody feel free to try like i think I, it's <laughs> important to look at the the jump from reservoir dogs to pulp fiction uh you see immediate growth from tarantino like reservoir dogs was great it was awesome um and with that, uh, it's I think it's rated pretty fairly. Um, but Pulp Fiction is is it's one of those movies that I can say it's overrated, just because um, everybody seems to love it. And then there's a lot of times you can start discussing it, and then you realize like they don't know why they love it. Um, oh, you you calling me out? No, no, no. I no, will no, tell no, you. No, why no, 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 not at all. But like, um, like if I went to my friend group, right, like from high school, and I was like, "Hey guys, like pulp, you, you you like Pulp Fiction?" They'd be like, "Oh yeah, man, Pulp Fiction's great." I'm like, "Okay, why'd you like it?" And they'd be like, "Oh, well, I don't know." And it's like it's because everybody else likes it. Sure, but, but at the same time, point. it's it's deserving. Yeah, but is that kind of gatekeeping necessary? I mean, if if someone says they like a movie, if they actually like it, it's oh, no. kind of secondary. Yeah, no the reason why. No, absolutely, you know. Uh, Especially in a movie, in this case, of a movie that is on its face great, like like Pulp oh, Fiction is. I, I absolutely love Pulp Fiction, and it's funny because I went like to prepare for the episode, um, just doing my research. Like there was a lot of forums and discussions where people like just they hate the movie, but when you're reading the discussions, they're like, "Oh, it's just it's so boring," and I'm like, "That movie wasn't boring at all to me." No, absolutely not. That's I've I've heard that it is a, it is a criticism that comes up a lot. It comes up a lot in a lot of his movies, honestly, because there are long stretches of time where people are just talking and if you do not want that i can understand where you're coming from but, but it's so important given to actually listen to what it is happening in these scenes then you're wrong like there is Absolutely. not you are wrong but you are wrong person says these mm-hmm. are boring like the movie is being made in these scenes the dialogue is what is making the rest of this so important and impactful so you're gonna go out there you're gonna say good night i've had a very lovely evening walk out the door get in the car go home jerk off and that's all you gonna do and i think for tarantino as a director like that's one of the things that he stands out with is that his dialogue isn't filler a lot of dialogue no it's, it's the, things, it is the content exactly <laughs> like, exactly and people like look forward to like oh the the gallons of blood but for me like i always look forward to i mean obviously the gallons of blood but like the right the dialogue too is is for me for in his movies just so uh intriguing and like I love seeing the growth of the movie through dialogue, whereas other movies that we watch, you know, every week, it's just like, oh God, can you stop talking? Like, do something, you know? Right. So like, yeah, the the Quentin Tarantino, I guess the Quentin Tarantino problem is the dialogue, like in, in large part in these early movies, and that's that's not really the detractor though. Like that is the catch. That is kind of what 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 in my mind is supposed to bring you in, and then you stay for the carnage. Like it's, absolutely, you know, it's the beats in between the super memorable stuff that make the movie for me. I don't sit there and talk to people and quote like scenes where people are saying, you know, things before they shoot somebody. It's all of the interim stuff. It's the scenes in the hallway before they go into the apartment where, you know, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and John Tavolta are having a conversation about the dude getting thrown out of a window, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's the scenes where 
Marcellus Wallace is talking on the phone, you know, I can't say any of those things out loud, but you know, it's, it's stuff like that that sets the movie apart in my mind as something that is indelibly to use that word again, cool. Like it, it is cool. The movie functions as a cool fucking film. Absolutely. You know, and just as like a mechanical aspect of filmmaking, I feel there's so much potential in dialogue scenes for character development. Absolutely. That a lot of movies don't get like, they don't embrace that opportunity. They're like, well, we need, we need to write a script, right? Yep. And they're like, okay, well let's have general conversation. That's going to set the tone of the movie. And I'm like, no, build the freaking characters. Yeah. Like give the characters their voice and then carry that voice through the entire movie through dialogue. And Tarantino <laughs> has absolutely perfected. It, it uh, is one of his skill. stronger yeah, skills. Definitely. Absolutely. I would agree with you. Anybody else? I saw Pulp Fiction when I was way too young to see Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, I and think a lot of us The did. only I thing I, I can really say about it is that I thought it was like the coolest freaking thing ever. And then I had a poster of Uma Thurman smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. on my wall. And I thought that maybe I was gay because I was strangely attracted <laughs> to her for like all throughout like middle school. It's like, oh man. I kind of want to touch her. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's really the only thing. I mean, I, I like the movie. I, I think it's cool. It's I've gone back and watched it since then. It's still a fun watch. And I think cool is really like the best word for it because man, did I think it was cool when I was a kid and it's still cool to watch as an adult. So it, it, holds, it, it up. holds up. Yeah. Is this Uma Thurman's apex? No, I don't think so. I, I think, I think she's better even in other Tarantino movies, which spoiler alert, we will get to, (laughs) but you know, the between she's not quite at like Gattaca level yet, which I think she is excellent in and great call dude. And you know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's again, speaking, speaking, speaking personally, words are hard, but, uh, do you, do you, I mean, is that an opinion? I haven't seen Gattaca, but of all the ones that I have seen her in, I would say, yeah. I yeah, think this this is her best one. What but, what makes this her best one? What about the what about the performance? Is I think know? that she benefits when she's not the lead character. I would agree with you there. And so this one, she has you with, know pretty, with one notable exception. But I will agree with you mostly. What's your notable exception? Kill Bill, but we haven't got we haven't oh, gotten right, there right, yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, okay, yeah. Um, would you say this is Tarantino's apex though? Um, his second movie. I mean that that's that's the common argument, right? Like, is is this is this as best? Is this the best he can do? You know, I don't think as a filmmaker it is. I think as like a, as like a, <clears throat> as a man with a vision and having that executed fully to what you are trying to put out. Yes, but as like a point, like a point to point film, scene to scene performance gathering director aspect of it. No, I, I think he has better stuff, but. This movie resonates with me so personally because it is the movie that first forms what it is I want from film. And I think as a director, you know, like I said, he gets better. But as like a dude who is trying to make movies, because those things are separate, in my mind anyway, then yes. Because he crystallized exactly what it was he wanted to do and did it. Like, right. he, you know, all the points are here. Your soundtrack, you know, your outlandish performances from some of the characters, the dialogues hitting everywhere, you know, the memorable scenes, the, uh, the, the influence that scene past this, like he, it's hard to argue against this being his best film because it's so important, I guess. But I think, I think it's not his apex though. You know, I know I'm kind of, I'm having it both ways right now, but it's my show. So fuck off. (laughs) But, But no, I'm not telling you to fuck off, but, uh, I don't know, man. Like it, it would be, 
It would be so hard to talk about this movie without just giving it its own episode, which I also considered before we did this. And it's not, <laughs> it's not unfair to say it may happen in the future. So without belaboring the point too long, I think we can all agree that Pulp Fiction is pretty fucking awesome and yes, deserves, cool. deserves the credit it, it gets. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I mean, it's, it's apparent in everything that happens right after it, that it is, it's influential. I mean, like think of the glut of fucking nineties and even up to now movies that come out after this movie that are just Pulp Fiction lights, like Pulp Fiction clones. You can name several if you just think about it. Things to do in Denver when you're dead, eight heads in a duffel bag, go. Like, I'm just thinking of things off the top of my head. What's like, the, uh, what's the kind of reuse in Cameron Diaz movie? The uh, Feeling Minnesota? Or Feeling Minnesota, yeah, to the, a lesser extent. Yeah. Very bad things, Cameron Very, Diaz, yeah. speaking of that. Uh, there's just so fucking many. Way of the Gun. You guys ever seen Way of the Gun? You remember that movie? I, no. I yeah. think I have, I'm yeah, so it's old. It's awesome. Um, yeah, man. Like, the... To let you know, to varying degrees of success, like a lot of these movies did fail. Like Two Days in the Valley is maybe okay. Like there, there are good things to be found from this, but apart from the Matrix, there's nothing else that did more to inform modern American film than this movie. Like yeah. it's the proof is in the pudding. Every fucking movie that came out at Pulp Fiction was trying to be Pulp Fiction for like eight years. Should have won you Best know. Picture. Oh, absolutely, should have won Best Picture. That's that's a thing what that comes up it? too. Fucking Forrest Gump. <laughs> yes. Stupid movie. <laughs> yeah. Beat that. It beat Pulp Fiction and Shawshank in the same what? year. So, yeah. Yeah. Kudos. They gave him the You're a New Filmmaker Award and the Best Original Screenplay. Because that's, that's like the token, that's congratulations, crazy. you had the best movie, but we can't give you anything, so we'll give you this. It's a really good year for movies, though. Yeah, it's a crazy year for movies, but, you know, fuck Forrest Gump. Are you shitting Tom Hanks, me? if you're listening, I hate you. <laughs> Before we, move I assure on, you, he is not. Um, I think it's worth mentioning because I mean we're going to get to it at some point. Um, this is one of the first movies. Pulp Fiction is one of the first movies that I saw where I was like, "Fuck, that's a good soundtrack." And all of Quentin Tarantino's movies have great soundtracks. This is the first like, one. It's, it's it's a central. It's a character in the yeah, film. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Legitimately, sure. and and yeah, it's, I mean that's probably something that should be mentioned at some point. Is that the music in his movies is always awesome yeah well he he is it's, it's very intentional you right. know like, oh, yeah, his movies are made this way because he is he's nerding out in his way of just like i'm picking all the best music i'm making all the best setups look at these cool ass scenes i can do you know like this mm. is it's quentin tarantino embellishing himself in himself like yeah, that's well, you know yeah. and it whether or not you however you feel about that is you know how you feel about it but Going forward, this is where it starts. Like of of the Tarantino ness of Tarantino, you you are right in that the progression between Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction is massive. Yeah. The next couple of films doesn't feel as big. Like I, the I progression agree. between film to film, it is kind of like a it's a giant step and then maybe a sideways step. You know, moving I forward. Almost, I almost feel like in the eyes of a lot of people, there's a few instances where there's a step down. Yeah, I mean. All right, we'll, we'll move forward then. Oh, I was um, just gonna say the one thing about Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of all time. Um, yeah, what I love about that movie the first time I watched it, I didn't, I didn't get it because I was I watched it at a very young age. But then the second, third time, I found myself wondering why I'm laughing when Marvin gets shot in the head, and I laugh hysterically and I rewound the scene five times. Sure. And I don't know what it you're is about. Sick in the fucking. Yeah, probably. <laughs> you're just, just kind of gross. Sick. Yeah, but you know, guys, you, you guys know me well enough to know I'm not in the graph like. Like, no, you're right. You are very squeamish. Yeah, yeah. yeah like the, the, if you guys talk about 1984 is the thing, I'll get a, I'll get nightmares really quickly. But it's I don't know what about it. I don't know what it is about the way he adds humor to it too. Um, the, the subtle humor and just kind of like dark humor just makes me laugh. It's, but in, it's, in one of my, it is still one of my favorite scenes of all time. The behind shot of 
Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta standing in front of the apartment door. You can't see their faces, yeah. so you're just assuming it's 80 yard, but whatever. They're just like standing there and talking, having a conversation. And then in like pantomiming, uh, Vincent's like, well, Marcellus wants me to, you know, see his wife for the weekend and take care of her. And then Jules, without missing a beat, is like, well, take care of her? And like puts, <laughs> puts a handgun to his yeah. head. And he's like, no, no, like take her out, for, you know, hang out with her. You know, it's not a date. Like that whole scene. Yeah. It is one of my favorite scenes of all time because you don't see any facial expressions. You see no delivery. You just see them, the backs of their heads yeah. and the reaction to what they're saying. And it's perfect. Like the, you know, the nuance of you know, what could have been a funnier scene if you, like, what uh, well, a lesser director would have is, like, a, you know, two-camera back and forth. Yeah. Like, to have that all encapsulated in the one shot without watching either of them speak but both but knowing both of their perceptions or perspectives is just fucking great. It's also, genius. you know, even the, the scene, too, where you see the back of uh, Marcellus's head with the Band-Aid, and there's, like, this weird, like, creepiness, not creepiness, but just kind of, like, a sense of going, well, what's the Band-Aid for? And, like, even him right. just doing like that. Just, right. Even in the, the way when the Bruce Willis is getting shot down, and you see that long shot of him like wait, catching his breath, and the way that was shot, yeah, I, I don't. But well, before we spiral too far and talking yeah. about yeah. Pulp Fiction scene by scene, I, I should say. <laughs> but that's anyways. That, I, my, my, my my whole point is, I love that movie. It just every time I can watch it with, without any fault, I just I don't. I just it's something that. You and I have quoted that movie since the day we've met. I still do. Yeah, like, eighteen years later, yeah. or, nine, or twenty years later. Whatever. I did it before we started recording. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, Pulp Fiction's great. Long story short, there we go. Um, so there's a, you know, it's interesting to to talk about it then, like people considering maybe next film's a step down because he he stays busy. He doesn't release another of his own films for a few years, but in the meantime, uh, his script for Natural Born Killers ends up getting made by Oliver Stone. He has since kind of disavowed his work on that film because he wasn't really the singular voice. It got rewritten a few times and, you know, he doesn't say it's a bad movie, but it's not really his movie, even though his fingerprints are all over it. It's, it's pretty obvious. Um, Four Rooms is a movie that comes out in this time. It's like a big anthology piece with him and a few other notable indie directors at the time, uh, specifically Robert Rodriguez, who was another filmmaker that I, you know, appreciate. Uh, the movie is not that great. His scene is kind of forgettable. The whole movie is kind of forgettable, but it happens, and it's at least worth mentioning. We talking off mic. None of us have seen this movie apart from yeah. me. I, I mean, I've seen Four Rooms. Roger, seen, you may I've have seen, seen Four Rooms. I, I saw it, but, it's been <clears> but no one has like a strong years, opinion about yeah, it no. to like rally to talk about it because I don't. I don't think it's, it's that great. overrated. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I, you know, it is what it is. Um, all of this leads up though with great anticipation because I at this point I am a film you know, a consumer now. And I'm, I'm still young relatively. I'm like 14, but I'm ready. You know, like I actually am excited for a new Tarantino movie. And we get that in 1997 with Jackie Brown, um, adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel, rum punch. It's pretty good book. If you've read it, uh, it's not my favorite Elmore Leonard, but that's not why we're here to talk today. Um, so Jackie Brown is, it's divisive to say the least. It is, historically a movie that is not as well remembered now that it you know as it was then i think or i'm sorry i said that wrong it is historically better remembered now than it was then yeah because it was critically well received but publicly was not it was not something that people were expecting and it wasn't what people wanted like that wasn't the tarantino they now knew you know you're following up the most you know, flashy and important film of a lifetime with a very understated, very subtle in comparison, Jackie Brown. And 
I think the movie is great. It is my hands down second favorite Tarantino movie. It is it's kind of almost one A to Pulp Fiction. I think it's that good. Wow. I don't know that it has the same pull with everybody, which is why we're here to talk about it. Jackie Brown's mad underrated. Oh. Yeah, it's top three for me. It's great. Yeah, I also have it severely underrated. And unfortunately, when I saw Jackie Brown, uh, I watched it with Gabe for the first time many years ago, actually. But uh, it was one of those movies that after I had seen it, I I sought out discussion with other people uh, to like t- just to freaking talk about it. And it's one of those movies that unfortunately, like nobody in my age group uh, has seen. Um, and it, like, because it doesn't have that, it doesn't have that upper echelon feel. Like right. it, it was, it was not a movie that everybody talked about. And and I think it's because he didn't write it. I that, think that, that helps, yeah. and I, I think that is definitely part of it. He wrote the ad- the adaptation, but right. it's right. an adapted screenplay, right? Which I actually think serves the movie. Like I, I think Tarantino, one of his my biggest criticisms of him is like I had alluded to earlier, hearing seven Quentin Tarantinos talk to each other at once. That gets really fucking grating. And it happens in this movie, but because he is working from source material, he is a bit more beholden to it. Right. And that helps. It really helps having him rein it in a little bit. And I think that shows in the performances in this movie, too, because they are all A+. Everybody in this movie is great. And, yeah. and the fact he brought up uh, brings back Pam Greer in sure. the, in the yeah. light that she deserves yeah. so, because Pam Greer... Has, and Robert Forster, yeah, like Robert, both of them. Yeah, Robert Forster is fantastic, yeah. and I think he's underrated. And I think this movie is underrated. And what I loved about this movie too it has the aesthetic of Pulp Fiction, but it also at the same time seeing Chris Tucker get put in a trunk and shot is pretty cool too. But all jokes aside, all jokes aside, I love the story of this movie, and I love the way the pacing and seeing Robert. De Niro, it was the first time I seen Robert De Niro play a secondary character where he was kind of like... Oh, sure. He does great. nothing in yeah, the movie. He's but he's fantastic. But he is really yeah. good. It, like, it's just looking... weird De Niro. Yeah, yeah exactly. Great. Yeah. That was something you were talking about when we watched Like, I yeah. just love Robert De Niro so much in this movie. He's it's, just he's so just dumb. Just like, he's just fucking yeah. there. And then he busts loose at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, like, where you were like, well... Like, just, you're, when the first time you watch it, what the that's just exactly. I was gonna ask you. Did you have that? that Shut Lacey? that bitch. Are you serious? Did like, you have I that was experience? craving her life, actually. And then I got. I'm like, I don't want to get shot. <laughs> um, this movie too. Not to move too much away from Robert De Niro. I was when we, and, me and Dave were watching this. I was like, fucking Samuel L. Jackson is actually a really, really good actor. Like his. His, the way he delivers lines specifically in like Tarantino movies it really just fucking all sounds the same motherfucker motherfucker but like there is a scene where he's putting gloves on and it is like a really awkwardly long shot of him putting gloves on and I was sitting there watching it and like I smoked a joint before I came over to Dave so this probably I probably wouldn't have noticed this had I not been stoned <laughs> but I did and I was like the, it, it's it doesn't feel like unnecessary even though no. it kind of is I guess but like I think probably <clears throat> back a, a specifically that scene you were talking about in Pulp Fiction is probably where Quentin Tarantino discovered the genius of Samuel L. Jackson's physicality oh absolutely and he he is the best at con- utilizing him for that continues to use him throughout his entire yeah. career and to maximum happily, effect yeah, yeah like, exactly like yeah do you want to shoot Samuel L. Jackson putting fucking leather gloves on for, like, an awkward amount of time? Fuck, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. I'll watch it all day. With that weird, po- <laughs> weird pony he has rocking? Yeah. Oh, that, that hair in that movie, yeah. But, yeah, Jackie Brown. I love Jackie Brown. It's probably my favorite Tarantino movie. I'll go as far as to say it is I really like that movie a lot. I love Robert De Niro in it. He's not overused. You know, he's not, like, De Niroing up everything. No, he's not at all. And that's a, it's a good choice. I, it's, it is, yeah. You know all them 
motherfuckers as crooked as a barrel of snakes, don't you? Why should I think something's weird if I don't know nothing I about that? I don't want to hear no fucking other, excuses, man. I'm giving you fucking excuses, man, and I'm telling you, I don't fucking, I'm giving you fucking reason. Oh, 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 you gonna tell me the reason you lost every goddamn cent I got in the hey, world? Hey, man. You gonna tell me reasons? You better... Let me tell you the reason, motherfucker. The reason is, your ass ain't worth the shit well, no you, more. You better fucking back off, man. You man, your ass used to be beautiful. Do you think it. then, if this is your favorite Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. as we had mentioned about mm-hmm. the dialogue and Spence pointed out, you know it's adapted or whatever, do you think that that is a benefit then to having it be like have it sourced? Yes, I do. But I also think I'm I'm also really conflicted, and we kind of talked about this the other day. Yeah, because it's like. It's we were talking about it because the movie's set in the nineties, but it looks seventies as shit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I know you guys weren't around back then. But shit close. didn't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> like shit didn't look like that in the nineties. Like it totally looks seventies. And I was saying it to Dave and he's like, Well, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be like a black exploitation movie. But like it's I don't know. This is where I start to become conflicted on Quentin Tarantino because at that point it's like yeah, you're like riffing off of a black exploitation movie from like the seventies, but like at this point, aren't you just kind of making a black exploitation movie? Like, you you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't but know. he made it, it just... so good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't the, know. This will become a this, very this, becomes... this will become a very hotly contested thing moving into the later point of his career. But this is where you start hearing the bigger complaints, the real problems of Quentin Tarantino. We will not discuss them at length currently. But the use of the N-word and his portrayal of women and black characters and his seemingly unending need to do the same things with those things. they will It is manifest in all of his movies, and it starts between Pulp Fiction and here. And it's, it's a relevant point, you know, like, should Quentin Tarantino be the man to make black exploitation movies in the 90s? I guess, no. No. But, you know, all things being fair... The movie was made and it's still great. Like yeah, I can't, like, I can't take anything away from it. I, I still love it. But at the same time, you know, I'm like, what? This is this. Start, this begins the point of me going, "What the fuck is?" It is definitely the first time I asked you know myself, I mean? "Well, <laughs> like yeah, that was yeah, well. that was the feeling." So, yes, that will continue. If people were mad about those things in 1997, just Brother, wait until 2012. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm alluding to. Um, <laughs> we're gonna take a real quick break for a second to uh, jump in our station identification and give some shout-outs to the rest of the shows. And also, I need to pee. So I just wanted to let everybody know that. We can cut that out if we need to. Do you to. need help? No. But thank you, man. <laughs> That's, yeah, that well, welcome so to the nice. show. Um, but nice. yeah, we will be right back. Fear not. We are far from done. Hey, gang. Dave here, and I wanted to tell you thanks so much for listening to the show. I'd like to encourage you to listen to some of our friends and affiliates on the SRD Network. Uh, for even more entertainment, news, and pop culture, check out shows like The Laugh Tracks, Parsons and Slow, Fanarchy, Grave Discussions, Counting Tracks, SRD Roadshow. There's more. There's a lot. But what about sports, you ask? It's in the name. What about sports? You want sports? SRD Ringside, On the Button, Mitten Sports Talk, Out of Bounds, Pucking Around, The Whip and Nene, and many, many more, including live stream play-by-play for several local high school hockey and football programs. Woo! Find all of this and more at sportsradiodetroit.com. No formats given. All right. And we return. Welcome back. Hi again, everybody out there, in, out there in the world. Gracias. And hello, everybody here in the studio. 
Wait, that's not hello. Gen- 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 yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Hola. Well, you're you're welcome that we came to finish this recording that you are a part of. Um, oh, thank you again for being here, I guess. Uh, all right. So in talking about Quentin Tarantino, we have gotten up to the first, I guess we can call it the first end of the dude's career, uh, ending with Jackie Brown. So we'll pick up as we took a break. Quentin Tarantino also took a break for six years, six long years in between making a feature film before his triumphant return with Kill Bill one and two. We're just going to talk about them both. They were released within a year of each other, um, to pretty wide acclaim, uh, if anybody had a problem with Jackie Brown being too sedate, you, buddy, you got some stuff. <laughs> like uh, Tarantino may have heard you and just decided that this was going to be his uh, his triumphant return into fucking violence and nonsense all over the place. So Kill Bill uh, is sort of his uh, his adoration and his you know fucking tribute to Chopsaki fucking nonsense kung fu and samurai films of the 60s and 70s uh those things show up before these movies but these are these are those movies like specifically one is just a testament to his love of you know eastern action cinema it is it is hilarious (laughs) just how how much he you know how much he this the the pains that he goes through into making this movie as dedicated a you know a nod to that as possible i think to really good effect i really enjoy the kill bills they're not movies that i'm like oh they're so great and they're important for all these reasons like they're very fun they're a lot of fun to watch they're absolutely bonkers you know the first one more than the second one but uh yeah coming into kill bill i mean the dude had a whole lot of stuff to live up to at this point because he hasn't made a movie in six years and i feel like he pleased a lot of people like this is in my mind this is sort of the end of quentin tarantino as that quentin tarantino whatever it is you have in your mind formulated as what he is there are two there are two separate two separate periods of his filmmaking and i think this is the end of the first one and i think it's a great it's a it's a great testament to that you know you guys like kill bill i like the first one yeah why don't you like the second one Uh, i think it drags it's like we talked earlier, like it's all uh, his dialogue is what he's kind of known for that and the violence. But I think the dialogue in the second one is just super uninteresting. And the whole Japanese tr- or Chinese or you know, sorry. both it's both um, the whole training sequence and the coffin punch and stuff like that. I think it's just goofy and kind of kills the Attacky. serious revenge vibe of the bride, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like the first one. Um, it has the anime sequence, so it made anime cool again. Um, it's always cool. The composers, you know, the music <laughs> is the RZA. It's super colorful, and it has... Oh, yeah, the music's great. Yeah, and it has one of my favorite sequences where she's about to fight Lucy Liu, and it's super white, and then you have the waterfall mm-hmm. of the bird. Like, it's just the artful make... Artful? The, yeah. you know, the artistic... Yeah. Uh, touches that he put in the first one i just don't think translate to the second one can i tell you if you like that sequence have you ever seen the movie lady snowblood no this, this movie is pretty much just that movie remade like it's in being fair it's not he hasn't shied away from that this is something that comes up a lot with quentin tarantino like when does homage just become stealing mm-hmm. and he gets a lot of that fairly because a lot of the stuff he takes from are things that he will just recreate wholesale in his in his you know image and i don't think it's bad necessarily and this is a movie that definitely does that. Like, Lady Snowblood is the same, ostensibly the same movie. It is a revenge film. It is Japanese. And there are scenes 
borrowed entirely from it that are making into this, and that's one of them. The sec- and it's pretty rad. Sorry. The second one is also 20-ish, 25 minutes longer, mm-hmm. and I think you really feel it. You do. It is. It feels longer than the yeah. first one. I really like part two a lot, actually. I don't... I kind of hold them in the same esteem. Like, they work together well, and I, yeah. I like watching them together. But, you know, if we were being fair, I like you would prefer to watch the first one. Cause it's easier to watch. I mean, you know, you just, you get through it. Also, I have a, like a weird, like one of those like fears that people have. Like I have a weird fear of being buried alive and I don't like seeing it on screen. So it's like not a fun, not a fun place for me. This is the set of movies. If I may just kill the joy for a minute, kill here. Bill the joy. This is the set of movies where I start to think that maybe Quentin Tarantino is just a fucking misogynist and he's masking it by like, oh, this is a woman's revenge movie. But really, do you just want to put do you just want to abuse Uma Thurman on screen? I I mean, man, the argument has been made. I mean, (laughs) her her to from her own testimony, you know, just recently. And that was a Vanity Fair interview where she had come out. Yeah. Yeah, She had come out and talked about him, you know, forcing her to go through car stunts and, you know, said she wasn't qualified or comfortable mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. And having her then be hurt, you know, after, after the fact. So it's, I mean, if it's going to be talked about, we got to talk about at some point. So that's, this is a good enough jumping off point as any, uh, I have a lot of problems with that in these films specifically. It's, uh, it's, it's telling to me that, the the male characters in these movies, you know, they they enjoy bloody deaths mm-hmm. for the most part. And they all have them coming, I guess. But it's never implied that they're coming because they've really done wrong by any set of circumstances other than they are bad people, <clears throat> you know? So this movie is a very good indicator of that with the, the end of Bill, like the main antagonist mm-hmm. of the film. He... Goes, you know, in the second part, which is dialogue heavy, goes through the motions of setting up, you know, all the shit they talk about leading up to that. And this character is shown through the entire film to have one solitary drive, you know, like it's just, I'm going to kill this person. And then in getting to that point, in the, you know, we find out through the story she's been in a coma for five years and raped the mm-hmm. entire time. Um, <clears throat> has had her child taken away from her. She assumes that the child is dead. Yep. She's not. But anyway, that's her assumption. Um, has all of these people that she had tried to create a new life with murdered in front of her in her wedding when she tried to escape Bill. And then through the course of the movie has done nothing that we haven't felt disqualified, you know, because she's just like avenging her, you know, her uh, attackers and stuff. And then to have Bill at the at the end of his, like one of the last lines he has of her, like, you know, she's like, you must be really mad. You must hate me right now. And he says, well, no, just sometimes you're a real cunt. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I kind of feel like she was pretty valid in doing everything that got her to this point. Like, without having any shown any indication that she was at all a bad person. (laughs) Like, there's there's no rhyme or reason to how he inevitably treats the females in this movie. The women, I'm sorry, in this movie. Like, it's it's very spotty at best. Like, they are posed to be like, oh, they got a bunch of world beaters. But he never treats them like they're anything more than just tools of Bill. And then Bill says shit like that, like throwaway lines. Like, where, you know, the, in, the, in the first place to have a female assassin squad is just, it's fucking goofy and misogynist on its face. Like, that's yeah. like a tropey as anime fuck thing that is also commented on, you know, in society in general. Like, it, where do you draw the line? Like, where, you know, where is it, where does it stop being okay? And I feel like this movie hits it. Like, it, it gets to that line and then kind of stops at it. 
And then, you know, I don't know, man. It's, saw, it's a problem, though. I saw an interview with Tarantino right when this movie came out, and people were criticizing him um, for the extreme amount of violence in it. Not, I don't think it was so much so just, like, violence against women, but just no, the but extreme violence, amount of violence. Yeah. And I remember him saying, oh, no, this is a woman's empowerment movie. movie. Like, uh, there's girls in here kicking ass. That is, it, when I watch this movie, it feels to me like that is what he wants the viewer to think. Yeah on its surface but like if you watch it and you look a little bit deeper like you said with like like all the like undertones and the way the female characters are treated like yeah i mean the bride gets her revenge and gets her daughter back in the end which is great like you know you want to see that you want that happy ending but at the same time it's like everything she has to go through to get there and all the like all the like shit and like you said like she's totally justified in doing all these things but she still gets treated terribly like i don't know it just it just kind of feels like he's masking it as a like why the fuck that's the same thing i think with jackie brown why do you get to tell this story why do you tarantino feel like you're the most qualified person to tell the story of women empowerment yeah yeah i mean it's 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 a common theme it only gets worse i mean like as as we go forward like with you know, what he puts himself in charge of to be the man that, you know, discusses this stuff for us. And it's manifest in Death Proof, which would be his next movie. Yep. Um, we can talk about that now also. <clears throat> I I hate Death Proof. <laughs> like, if I'm just going to be honest with you, you know, with you. Same. Yeah. I And it has it has less to do with the misogyny and the, you know, the, the portrayal of his characters and more to do with the fact that it's just not good. It's just not good. Like, right. it, the dialogue is... is forced it's wilting everywhere like the you know what what made the things like crackle in his earlier movies are all gone like yeah. it's all of the things are still here i mean it's it's all the same stuff you know nothing nothing has changed but the names and the faces it just isn't it doesn't deliver i don't know what happens but it's not good like can for, someone help me clarify this any for all better? intents and purposes like this feels like what a directorial debut should have been sure yeah like it just feels 15 years into your career. Right. <laughs> and it's just unfortunate that it came kind of on his decline, I guess, in my eyes, at least with kill bill too. Mm. And then you have this one and it's kind of like, am I actually looking forward to more Tarantino movies now? Or is he kind of hit his three in a row with the first three? And then like, after that, it's just kind of like, yeah, eh, is he actually good or not? Yeah. I mean, it's, <coughs> it, it, it's a relevant question to ask. I have not seen it. No, I, man. I don't know. I mean, like, as a completist, I would say sure go watch it, but it doesn't do anything that other movies he he has made doesn't don't do better. That's you why know? I've made no effort <clears throat> to see it. Yeah, all the soundtrack stuff is still soundtrack stuff. Sure, yeah. there's a lot of great tunes. We, you know, like the 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 whole gimmick of the movie being released was that it was paired with Planet Terror with Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror as Grindhouse, like a mm-hmm. you know a throwback to pulp films of the seventies and the sixties and the fifties. So like. He hits that part fine, I guess. Like the the first part of the movie, the film looks all distressed, and there's lots of you know there's lots of tracking lines and stuff. So it looks like it was filmed in the '60s, which is aesthetically fine, but it doesn't. It, it's not set then. It does nothing to make you feel like it's set then. It's just it's just aesthetic, and it doesn't work. <laughs> like you know, I've only seen it once a while ago when I was doing the completionist thing, and if I remember correctly. It starts off okay, and then it just as the movie goes on, it just gets worse. And it's worse. two parts. Like the right. movie itself is two parts in a two-hour movie. That's already half of a two-part film viewing. So you feel like you're watching three fucking movies, and half of them aren't good. Uh, it's you know, 
the the story is that uh, stuntman Mike, portrayed by Kurt Russell, which is the only I guess decent performance in the movie. Um, is a deranged lunatic man who crashes his car into women driving cars and kills them. That's the whole movie. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. The first half is a little more entertaining than the second half, but right. not by much. Like you know, there's there's nothing that this movie offers you in the way of a film going experience that I found pleasurable. Nothing. Like I, I know people that like this movie. You know, it has it has the violence. I mean, there are very graphic deaths in this film. I won't spoil them for you if you haven't seen it. If you are into that, watch it because there's some fucking brutal ones. But apart from that, it's just kind of there. So we don't have to belabor the point. I don't know. I don't care about Death Proof. Nobody seems to care about Death Proof. But it is, it's manifest of a problem now, though. Like Quentin yeah. Tarantino has kind of lost a step. So before Inglorious Bastards is announced, this is like late 2008, uh, he's got a lot of work to, you know, a lot of road to cover here. But I feel like this is the. <clears throat> I feel like this is the the heralding in of a new era of filmmaking for him. Like it is definitely a different approach. Like the the hallmarks are all there, you know what I mean? But there's a level of sophistication in the making of this movie that makes you feel like he retooled a little bit and brought something else to making this movie. And I think it pays off because I think this movie is actually still really great. Like Inglourious, Inglourious Bastards, 2009's Inglourious Bastards. Oh, absolutely, Inglourious Bastards is actually my favorite Tarantino film. Why? Which is interesting because um, he's got so many other great movies that I recognize as like being significantly better, uh, such as Pulp Fiction. Hey man, better doesn't necessarily mean you have to like him more. Right, exactly. And I think what lures me in so much to Inglorious Bastards is that he's taken such a taboo uh, setting, being Nazi Germany, mm. um, and he puts like we've all seen Nazi Germany movies. For clarification's sake, it is France, but France. Nazi well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like uh, in, involving that, um, oh god, like I don't know how to word this uh, politically correct. But like, don't worry about um, it. <laughs> Just say what you feel. Like, the we'll whole, yell at you. The whole movie around. is killing Nazis. Yeah, right. And uh, I oh, you think, can say that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we, that's we embrace the killing. We heartily of endorse the killing sure. of Nazis on this program. And, Absolutely. Um, I, I think <laughs> the feelings of over under frame not necessarily reflect those of SRD. <laughs> I don't know. Views well, we and opinions, those expressed those by Dave and the rest of the cast, necessarily reflect those sometimes to me. In this case, so yes, please kill all the Nazis. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for the clarification. Anyway, carry on. Um, I, I think that he takes such a taboo environment, though, and just makes it just fucking awesome. Um, and it's it's trivial things that are, like, when you talk about them outside of the film, stupid. For example... Like the um the bear Jew walking down the hallway with the baseball bat. Yes. Right? That scene is so stupid, but it's like my <laughs> it favorite really scene ever. Yeah. Just because it's he just has like it's got such this connotation to it that's like, oh Jesus Christ, what's gonna happen? You know? And it's just this like averagely sized dude with a baseball bat wearing a wife beater and he looks like grimy and disgusting. And you're like like thinking about it outside of the movie, you're like, this is just like so generic but in the movie when you're watching it you're like oh god what's gonna do and then he pummels the guy with a baseball bat and you're like this is the most badass shit i've ever seen and it's like it's just little things like that in 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 that taboo environment where i'm like dude he's having so much fun with this film i'm having so much fun despite it being like an awful an awful scene like the movie opens up literally to um what nazis did yeah 
it is the most and it is the most upsetting i yeah personally the most upsetting really thing in the film. And, it's, and it's it's heartbreaking yeah, I, this is actually a good it's a good place to point out that i think one of the reasons i think this movie is such a step up from what he had been doing is because it's not that he hasn't done this because tarantino is actually very good at creating suspense and building it yeah but he takes it to almost hitchcockian levels of suspense building and going forward like mm-hmm. where they this becomes like a focal point of the filmmaking. The opening scene, you know, with Hans Landa coming into the house and finding the Jews. Oh, that's so um, awesome. The whole, sequence, the whole sequence of them in the basement of that bar. Like, mm-hmm. this movie is just wrought with tension. And it's actually tense. Like, it yeah. works. Yeah. And there's that's not something... He does it, like I said, in, in sparingly, you know, in movies mm-hmm. before this. Like, like I alluded to with being buried underground and Kill Bill 2 and other, you know... T- tension and suspense is something that he obviously wants to put into his films and i really feel like he figured it out like he yeah. got to a point where he's like no i'm i can do this like i am a modern hitchcock yeah because this is how i build this now and it's flawless like it's it is a very well crafted film and that's a large reason because of it i think and on top of like all of the the violence in that movie which i think is uh just awesome um, yeah like like the game some, some of it really the card game scene you know when they've all got the guns pointed at each other underneath the tables like yeah. that was just awful to watch yeah. um but it was so great and i think that like comparatively to um you know another huge film that takes place around that time like schindler's list mm. they've got two such just ends of the spectrum type of storytelling that it's yeah. just like That's I was understatement. I was wondering where yeah. you were going with this. I'm like, so we're comparing this to Shimmer. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, like, I'm like two, okay, now I see what you're doing. Like, yeah. Um I same, mean apart from that one Uzi scene where Liam Neeson mows down a bunch of Nazis. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um <laughs> it's like he still brings home the point of why that setting is is so important yeah. for for the story. Like uh he breaks your heart in the beginning and then there's just so much building from there right with the team it's just it's incredible he does a lot with secondary characters in this movie and in, and in terms in of all of his movies well, but, yeah. in all, in all but this sure. one he brings it back to a little bit because i'll be honest with you i didn't see um the roadhouse movies yeah so but sorry roadhouse i knew what you meant yeah roadhouse, roadhouse. <laughs> yeah Patrick. but <laughs> just, seeing, just seeing mike myers in a different capacity and you know he has a small part but he's still but michael fassbender Giving away his tell with the right, way he the did the, single, the, the three fingers, yeah. but this is something where even like the the mil, the guy the farmer you remember that guy because you no yeah the yeah. way he handled the pipe and it's the sound heartbreaking yeah but the way you just the sound of him with the milk and everything yeah you see the condensing on the glass like that I don't know what it is about that those those images imagery to me and then the detail of having that skull on. On the general's helm, on the looking like M. Bison from Street Fighter, but having that, the little details in that movie, the cream, like in the in the, I don't know, just a sure. small amount of details in that movie, just really stand out. This is his best film. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being objective, this is his best made film. Yeah. Like almost hands High, down. highest production, and it's things like that comparatively. Like it shows you that, um, like the farmer is doing nothing but working his ass off every single day, sweating dying for his family just to keep them alive and things like the milk is just such a luxury and so trivial to us and then just to have that taken away for what you know for for no reason it it, like it's things like that that really show you the contrast of the the whole entire story um and how just how bad uh, it was for people there and like it really sets up the premise of not just that they're killing nazis because they're bad they're killing nazis because nazis are 
killing hardworking people who aren't doing anything. And this um, is not new to filmmaking. Like the, right. the thing that the thing that Quentin Tarantino gets knocked for is that despite you know these are these are tropes. Like you, if you're going to make a movie with a message, it it needs to resonate. It needs yeah. A lot of people can do that, and people have done it, and mm-hmm. you know some people can't and try too hard. But what separates this movie from a movie like Django Unchained, which we'll talk about next, is that it succeeds entirely on that front. Like, you know, you're watching a movie that is about sensibly about why Nazis are bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, the, the root of everything. Nazis are bad. We should kill them. Right. And it doesn't it isn't the forefront of your mind. It's an it is a it is a granted understood. Like, it's something that, you know, coming in. Mm-hmm. But then he reinforces it and it makes you think about it again. Like yeah. by, you know, by using scenes like that to show a guy just doing his job, two guys just doing their job, you know, in, in Hans Landa and the yeah. farmer. And, you know, you know that Hans Landa isn't necessarily a bad person at first. Mm-hmm. You, you come to know that he is. But, you know, it's he's in it for himself. And right. that's also a human thing. Like, so they it adds an element of humanity to Nazis that you don't need and necessary to, to understand the ramifications of the story working. Mm-hmm. But it helps. Like yeah. it's he does all of that correctly in this movie. It's something that he starts to do now. Like it's it's something that he's trying to do. He's he's definitely more message minded and kind of goal oriented in this way with his his later works. But this is the one movie I think it succeeds in. Like Lacey had asked earlier, does Quentin Tarantino need to make a black exploitation movie? Does he need to make a women empowerment film? Those are valid questions. Does does Quentin Tarantino need to make a movie about killing Nazis? Also a valid question, but in this case, I think yes. Like, yeah. I, and I think it worked. You know, like to to his credit, I definitely think this works. Gentlemen, I have no intention of killing Hitler and killing Goebbels and killing Goering and killing Bormann. Not to mention winning the war single-handedly for the Allies. Only later to find myself standing before a Jewish tribunal. If you want to win the war tonight, we have to make a deal. What kind of deal? What kind you wouldn't have the authority to make. However, I'm sure this mission of yours has a commanding officer. A general. Mm, I'm betting for... OSS would be my guess. Ooh, that's a bingo! (laughs) Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo? You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! On top of being my favorite film by him, it's also like in my top three of all time movies. And I'm a big guy for like ranking people and stuff. And I think this is Christoph Waltz's Best apex. I, like, yeah. there's he's just playing this character. <laughs> like in right. every other movie, he does. Yep. It's, it's just variations of this. Like you know, in in one extreme or the other. Like yeah. this also has my favorite soundtrack. Um, and score for a Tarantino sure. movie. So score. Well. I mean, this he really steps yeah. his game up. Like you know, it's it's less reliant on the you know the '60s stacks kind of soul stuff that he's kind of his calling card, and more reliant on actually crafting a score and like yeah. a you know a, a constant movement through the film. And it it's great. Like it's you know it's his best use of that too. Like because I. Yeah, and I think uh, another underrated element of this movie that we haven't even talked about is Brad Pitt. Sure. In this movie, like people kind of knock him, you know, the crappy accent <laughs> and just, but like, I think it fits perfectly with the whole I that, get humor I of get the movie. You, you yes. know what I'm saying? I think that is more of the old Tarantino stuff of him. Like, well, I got to have this guy and he has to be weird. Right. And like, I respect that. I don't 
care for Brad Pitt in this movie. I think he's fun. But apart from that, I'm not like, what a bravura performance. Like, he's just having fun. And he's doing a good job. Yeah. Like, I enjoy it. Particularly that sequence of him on the stairs yelling at that the soldier when he's trying to come down there. Like, I don't know why I think it's so funny. It just is. Not not seeing him and still hearing that voice is fucking hilarious to me. Not directed by Tarantino, if I remember correctly, but also gave us that short 10-minute... Because they actually made the movie yeah. Yeah, the uh, guy in the tower. Yeah, yeah. The, no, what the hell? I just watched it. The nature of whatever. It's the, nation something. Nation's pride. Yeah, Nation, yep. thank you. There you go. Yeah, and there is, uh, yeah, on the, on the Blu-ray, there great. is a full, the full short of that movie. It's only like seven minutes long, but yeah. when you'd watch it in the movie, you'd feel like it's a full film. So it's pretty awesome. And it's so fucking stupid, too. That's <laughs> hilarious. The soldiers, like, calling Hitler and surrendering while the Germans just in the tower mowing him down. Fuck, it's so funny. Um... Anyway, so I had alluded to it, you know, the the moving forward momentum now of Tarantino and his his new kind of film production. And uh, that leads us to Django Unchained. It's 2012. This movie is very, very, very divisive. I have I have never had a conversation about this movie that didn't ultimately end with two people being upset at each other. So we'll see if we can have it with five people talking about it. Let's go. <laughs> Um, so, this movie exists. Is it good? Love we'll, it. We'll just ask the question up front. How do you feel about the movie? Do you like the movie? One one word answers. One or two word answers. We have a love it. Uh, overrated. I like the ending. <laughs> Roger? Like the actual end? Like the riding off into oh, okay. the... <laughs> like the credits rolling? It was... <laughs> good. Like the, the clapping. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um... So I think it's okay. <laughs> is my is my my word on it? We saw this together on Christmas, Christmas Day, and in an urban theater, and so we were very uncomfortable. We didn't know we didn't know <laughs> if we needed to to laugh or if we should like you know because th- this is like the like movie with the most um, I would say profanities. Oh yes, yeah. um, and just like the subject matter, you know, they're it's a former slave killing slave yeah. owners and stuff like that it's like yes i like the movie mm-hmm. but I, I i'm not going to i'm not going to chastise anybody for their opinion on the movie like if you like the movie tell me you like the movie yeah i like the movie okay, yeah. i i, I don't, think you don't have to mince words super, i think it's overrated though in in the sense of this one of all his movies should have ended a lot earlier than it did i think it's underrated why do you think it's underrated i think it's underrated because it's overrated for the wrong reasons okay i think that Django Unchained's got a lot of elements to it that stand out to me as being awesome. I think it's more one of the more artsy, um, specifically like with scenes like the blood spraying on the fl- uh, on you know yeah um, like it just weird shots like that. Um, specifically, Django's outfit is very yeah. Like, Any incarnation of his outfit is yeah, great. Yeah, and, all of them. And it's something that I feel he put a lot of time into to make it special, unique, pop. Um, and it feels artsy. Um, on top of that, there there's great performances. Leonardo DiCaprio specifically, like, <sighs> ripped his hand open. He is great in and, this movie. Yeah. As, as as awful as I even feel saying it, he's very great in this movie. Samuel L. <laughs> like, Jackson is, yeah. plays such an oh, abstract man. and interesting <laughs> character. Yeah, the, 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 at the, end, the plot twist at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it is, it's one of those movies that is so Tarantino, but it's so different like it's so abstract comparatively it's artsy it's it makes you uncomfortable 
um, outside of just being from obviously, <laughs> it's an you know, why we're uncomfortable, but like it makes you uncomfortable because characters like Samuel L. Jackson, you're like, wait, what the fuck? Like it's one of those movies that to me really, really, really stands out outside of just production. Like it's it's creative, it's inventive, it's artsy, and it's different despite being one of like the more Tarantino films. Uh, I believe that he's got like in his reservoir of movies. <laughs> Counterpoint. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. If I could, I think this movie is made exclusively so Quentin Tarantino can have the N word in as many times as he wants. Yeah, I 100% feel that way. I've felt that way since I watched it. This so, has been something that's trailed his entire career. Like this is not new, yeah. and he finally gets. An, an excuse an, an excuse to use it literally every other word so, i mean just at random whenever he feels like dropping it in for me it's definitely overdone in that aspect but at the same time when has tarantino ever held back his shock value and that's one of those things where you're like jesus christ dude like you can chill like it doesn't need yeah. to be done that much but at the same time looking back you're like he did it and i'm shocked and it, it carries through the entire film, like that, sure that shock value. <laughs> um, and for me, shock value is one of those things that, like, like I crave. Like, I want to be right. taken off guard, and I want to, I want to be upset because of things like that. And at the same time, when I get there, I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, By the way, uh, that movie uses the, the N word 112 times. That, I actually that felt that like twice low, that. Yeah. Honestly, well, I, yeah. I, found, I found a chart that is uh, tells you how many times that word has been used in his movies. Yeah. So, so like you, you said that it's overdone, but like I'm a '90s kid, right? Like, so I remember back in those times, and I feel like that's kind of like, wasn't that how it was? Like saying that all the time what like, a white dude having all of his characters say the n-word all the time no, i mean like, sure yeah because Quentin tarantino like, existed back in, back in the slave times though like that word that word was absolutely was it invented back then I'm, absolutely I don't know the history of okay it, it's but. not it is not this is see this is where the conversation starts it, happening yeah it is not that the word doesn't exist then and it wasn't used in that context the question is is quentin tarantino the man that needs to make this movie because the answer is flat fucking no like in okay. my mind right i have a big problem. This is where I actually. This is where I. I hit the my threshold, and it should have happened earlier, and that's my fault. But it is too much. Like there is a certain point when shock value cannot be the driving force of a film when you are trying to take yourself seriously. This movie's trying to have it both ways by being both shocking and revelatory, but by also having sequences where like. You know, Django's walking out and rap music is playing, or there's right. a couple of funny throwaway lines. The the tooth bouncing back and forth on the dentist trolley, like it is the most Tarantino of Tarantino movies, like in the in the older style of Tarantino movies, and it's also trying to carry some of that inglorious bastard's goodwill into making a message <laughs> film. Yeah, and I don't think it works because it's not it's not the message I want to hear from Quentin Tarantino because I've Heard what you've said before, my dude. You weren't trying to tell us tales then. You were just, but rather, you were trying to tell us tales then. You weren't trying to impart knowledge to us. Right. Now that you are, and you're doing it in the same way you have always done these films, it rings hollow, A, and B, it's fucking offensive. Like, you know, flat out. I'm not saying this has to be true for everybody, but I have huge issues watching this movie now. I had the issues then. This isn't like a, you know, a 2018 I'm woke kind of thing, like to, right. to borrow a modern parlance, but. 
this is this is a movie I've always had a problem with for these reasons, and it is something in rewatching it that I continue to have a problem with. It's you know when guys like Spike Lee are asking these questions specifically of this film, and that is that's there's merit there. Like you know that's your opinion of Spike Lee notwithstanding, he is the kind of person that I want to hear asking the questions or making those movies. Like you know, as an example, Twelve Years a Slave would come out a few years after this movie. That is a movie that this movie could have been if it was a black filmmaker. Like, with a bit more sense of flair, obviously. Yeah. 12 Years a Slave is not taking any of this lightly. And to great effect. Right. This movie is trying too hard to have it both ways, and I feel like it is a disservice. It comes back to what I say about him, like, masking it as a, like, oh, isn't it great? Like, Django gets revenge, and he does all this stuff for his lady, and in the end they ride off. Like, I, li- I like that it has, like... I guess it's happy of an... I mean, they're still black and a really bad time to be black. Sure. An extremely bad time, you know, and they still have to a huge journey ahead of them. But, I mean, I'm happy that he finds her and stuff. And also, of course, fucking Carrie Washington is just abused throughout the whole entire fucking yeah. movie. And gets... <clears throat> there are no central... There's no central female character in this movie. No, there's... None. N- there's, there's no... There's barely any dialogue for any female characters. They just... They don't exist. She's just fucking getting abused throughout the whole movie and you know, a damsel in distress, which is annoying because they make mention of the fact that she's run away multiple times. Yeah. Like, you're a bad bitch. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. If you're, if you're fucking trying to escape like that, um, you have balls of steel in my opinion, but you know, she just gets tossed to the side and beat up and yeah. all those shitty things. Um, I don't know. I, it, yeah, it's, it's a bothersome watch. And I think that Tarantino just does this like with his, Oh, I'm going to tell this story and it's going to be, you know, this, slave gets his revenge but really what you're doing is just you're abusing women and minorities in your movies and and dropping the n-word as many times as so you i'll can. play devil's advocate like, and say that that was the, just ignoring his other films where he also does that but this is like kind of hard to ignore them but carry on <laughs> this this is that was the time um it was i can't hear this argument every time though man like i i'm well, sorry to cut you off but yes you're right but yeah but why not make it not that like you can make it the time without having to fully embellish that that he strongly. altered the universe of inglorious bastards where they kill hitler so right i mean alter no. the universe of this where you're not using the n-word every six seconds and having predominantly all the white characters do it so if i were to watch inglorious bastards or not inglorious bastards uh django unchained and it was in any way watered down or different i wouldn't feel like like i would probably rate it poorly because i'd be like tarantino was holding back tarantino wasn't giving it his all it feels underdeveloped you really feel like if you heard the n-word like half as much that you would feel that the whole movie is underdeveloped no not at all okay i'm just i mean i don't mean that to like put you on the spot right yeah don't get don't make a mistake i'm not we're not trying to attack yeah Yeah, no 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 no, no. i know it's a sensitive subject this is the conversation that this movie elicits yeah absolutely and it's it's one of those things where he is always seen going like too far and like i'm not saying it's okay but i'm just saying from like a movie making standpoint his name and reputation relies on just going hard as shit in like everything despite me disagreeing with like yeah we could definitely go with zero to you know half at least um of of that dialogue but at the same time like he's known for just like you know what i get what you're saying and tarantino knows how to do like 
stylistic violence and Django's like he's a cool character you know what I mean like those outfits and shit like yeah I want to see Jamie Foxx doing cool shit for you know with guns from the hip and like shooting people off horses and stuff like yeah that's great you I mean he could have put more of that in there yeah you know what I mean like he could have put more of that in there like that is what I want to see if you're gonna show me a movie about a slave taking revenge on all these shitty people like fucking show me you know what i mean and i don't need to hear the n-word every other sentence to make it feel real because i realize the movie opens with black people literally in chains like your message has been made you don't need (laughs) you know what i mean like i i see what's happening here you know what i mean like anybody with a little bit of empathy can can realize that this this is bad shit like you don't need to use racial slurs every other i don't know i mean that's not even wholly my whole entire problem with it no it's not it just comes back to again i have to ask myself why does quentin tarantino a white guy in 2000 whatever feel that he is the guy to tell these stories i feel he keeps coming back with these women's empowerment shit and all these mm-hmm. stories. I want to know why he feels like he is the guy to tell these stories. So I think that there's, that opens up a lot of discussion um, specifically, <laughs> but with, it does. with him, he's got a knack, he's got a talent and whether or not he believes in those concepts or not, he's got a platform that I feel majority of people do hop onto that and, and do catch what he's saying um, because they, they don't, go as deep as we do into movies. And so on like the surface level, he says, Oh yeah, this is a women's empowerment movie. And a lot of people are like, fuck yeah. Like, yeah, she was kicking ass the whole movie uh, and and vice versa for, for any other demographic. Um, Despite it does feeling masked where we're we're all agree. Absolutely. And aside from that, I think it's really interesting. His stylized violence, Mm -hmm. Um, like Eli Roth, for example, Mm -hmm. I feel like he's like from a director's standpoint, like a professional, uh, grotesque kind of like Eli Roth is yeah like Eli or, yeah like like when I look at Eli Roth's shock value mm-hmm. like in Green Inferno I'm like oh god but like when I watch Tarantino's violence it's stylized and I just like seeing the overlap of Eli Roth and Inglorious Bastards. Before we go too far on tangents because yeah. this is literally a conversation that people are having and should be having. We cannot be the ones to have this conversation in a podcast where we're supposed to be talking about pop culture stuff. True. Because in, as integral as the conversation is, we cannot be the final point on this. So I will say briefly, uh, you know, this movie elicits a lot of emotions for a lot of people. I think it is an interesting watch. And if you feel inclined, do so if you haven't seen it. But you will not have a wrong opinion in necessarily how you view this movie. And I think that's, if anything, that's the only real importance of the film is to form an opinion about it. Like, yeah. it it kind of exists for you to do that for, to varying degrees. So your mileage may vary on how, how it is you treat this film. We've stated our opinions. Seek out your own afterwards. I would I would say at least watch it. It's, it merits a viewing. I can give it that much. If there's one redeeming factor of the film, it does generate the discussion. No, absolutely. I mean... Under nebulous reasons, but yes, it does generate the discussion. Um, Speaking of generating discussions and nebulous reasons in filmmaking, so his next film is sort of a continuation, if you'd like to envision it that way. It was intentionally, uh, I'm sorry, initially going to be a sequel to Django Unchained, but it was, and you know, ended up getting rewritten and repurposed. Uh, The Hateful Eight, which is to this date his last produced film, is 2015, and 
I will let anybody else start. <laughs> Lacey, how about you start? So I went to see this film with Dave. Actually, this might not be the right place to start, but go ahead. Um, in... It was like the first snowfall of the year, right? So it's, Yeah, it was very appropriate. It's like cold and snowy outside. He comes and picks me up. I am freezing the entire time. And then I'm watching this movie, and I cannot get warm. I think I was even wearing his coat on top of my coat. You were. Just like miserable. <laughs> I was trying to order hot chocolate in the theater. They were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like all this stuff. And... um yeah, what didn't you read something that said uh, that he like instructed theaters to like turn down in the key? certain theaters? Yes, yeah. that was well, I that was a thing. I don't know if <laughs> like, that happened. A more if, immersive experience. Or if I'm just a cold ass pitch, which both are totally valid. Um, but yeah, I mean, at first I watched this movie and I hated it because of that. Like I, I really so the was, actual film watching. Experience. I was actually freezing cold. I was miserable. And then as soon as I got home and got warm, and I started thinking about it, I think I picked up my phone and I texted Dave, and I was like, "I kind of want to see it again, like with a blanket, because <laughs> like just so I can like kind of watch it and like actually watch it." Because for what it's worth, like it definitely put me in the scene. Like that, the weather is sure. very well used in in this movie, but. Um, here we are again. Jennifer Jason Lee is it? Mm. Getting her ass beat throughout the entire movie. Here back to Quentin Tarantino fucking hates women. I'll just say it. He does. He does not like women. He has a problem. Gabe. I saw this in seventy millimeter and it stopped awesome. halfway through. And so that was the one and only time that I've seen it and it kind of we had like a twenty minute intermission, I guess. And uh, at first, I was initially disappointed because it wasn't what I was expecting. I was kind of expecting some, you know, giant standoff. Um, I don't even know. And But at the end of the day, I think I really – I liked the plot twists at the end, I guess. Um, but it's kind of forgettable for me in his filmography. Like I didn't hate it at the end of the day, but also I'm not going to advocate that you should go see it. How was your temperature? <laughs> I truly don't remember. <laughs> Well, then it wasn't cold enough. Um, yeah. I, it's the deadliest game of Clue I've ever seen. And <laughs> That's a really good way to describe it. I mean, other than that, it's <laughs> probably due for a rewatch soon, but... This I'm, is one I really, really, really need to rewatch front to back. I've tried to watch it twice, and I have not watched it completion front to back. So, like, I need you, to... You've never watched it beginning to end? Like, right, exactly. Like, okay. Like I've watched it halfway. Could you stopped. not get through it, or it's, just it's life happening, or what's the reason? Is there a reason? So it's three hours and seven minutes. Oh God, I can't believe I sat still for that long. I felt every minute of that movie. That's a long ass time. Yeah, like, I don't I'll have sit down and I'll be like, "Yo, I'm gonna watch Hateful Eight. It's on Netflix." And then you realize yeah. you got shit to do. And then yeah, I'm I watched it. I watched it two parts. Yeah. yeah, I'm halfway through it. I fall asleep, wake up, go to work, try to finish it, and I'm like, "Oh God, I need to start it over." Yeah. So. That's where I'm at. It's a it's a long one. It's it's, it's a long one. I <laughs> hate this movie. Do you hate I it? I flat on its face hate this movie. I hate yeah. it so much. What about the score? Fine. It won sure. best original score. Good. Forrest Gump won best picture. It still sucks. <laughs> like, the score I, was nice, yeah. The, I mean, there, it's not to say that there's... Even movies that I don't like have, you know, merit in things, I'm right. sure. Like, I can... I'm not so, you know obtuse to things having good things in them even if i don't like them that said i fucking hate this movie what's that guy's name with the face 
Walt Goggins. Yeah. That's my dude. What? How'd you get that from that? <laughs> I've known her a long uh, time. Forever, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so I guess Walton Goggins aside, who I do love in everything, uh, man, I can't watch this movie again. I've done it twice. I'll never watch it again. Two times is plenty. Six hours of my life spent on this fucking garbage. I have very strong opinions of this movie if only because I thought it was going to be so much better than it was. The, 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 the comparison you made to being the deadliest game of Clue is so fucking spot on and blatant. I can't even fucking not say it without laughing. Except Clue, um, the movie is so much better. Well, sure, yeah, but mention, it's a comedy. I just mentioned, but, you know, Tim Curry just coming out of nowhere, right? Literally but, on the floor. Oh we'll save that for Clue Cast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this movie, though, it's I get no one has to tell me that the movie is made the way it's made for a reason. Like I get it. I'm supposed to hate this movie. Don't get me wrong. Like it's it is unpleasant. It is all the bad things you can say. It's graphic. It's fucking frigid, like literally and figuratively. Like it is scenically very appealing and you know, it's it's made that way to show you the outside before you are confined to the inside all with purpose. Very well made technically. All of these things are true. That being said, I cannot forgive him for making me watch this movie because it's so so unpleasant to watch like on levels i didn't think i still had in me like i've i've sat through shit that's way worse like qualitatively and you know like content wise i've done the gamut i've seen a lot of stuff i can't even fully articulate why i hate watching this movie so much in actual words because it all just it at some point i'll just fall into a puddle of gibberish just because i hate it that much i have a visceral reaction to this film on a level that is unmatched by every single one of his movies again i cannot fully articulate why i told you all the reasons it is a miserable movie yeah i mean i told you all the reasons why it is the way it is and i totally appreciate that if that's what he was going for fucking nailed it because man did i hate this fucking did i hate watching this movie it's just it is such a terrible experience oh yeah go Uh, ahead isn't it inspired or based off of the thing as well it definitely borrows from some of that oh yeah that's a a good call i didn't even think about that yeah Yeah. you know if i remember correctly when they were filming it he made everybody watch watch it it. he did yes yeah and hey it shows i mean you know if you've seen the thing and you've seen this yeah you're not far off like you know again to to his credit this is something that he does well and has historically done well he can he can find, you know, the elements of something that he is trying to use and implement in his movies, and he does it to very great effect. I will never take that away from him. But in the instance of this film, he did it to such a good effect. I mean, you could even argue that this movie is great because I hated it that much. Like, maybe that is the argument to be made. But I can't make that argument because I will just tell you how much I hate it. Like, it's it befuddles me even now to think about it. Like, how how little I enjoyed myself watching that movie twice like i to actually submit myself to do it a second time because i thought i was being unfair the first time i was not like in my purview so wait a minute so the william or the wilford wilford brimley character would be the female then in the the remake yeah i guess technically (laughs) if you think about it that way it's like i think it would have been a better movie if wilford brimley was in this yeah Get I punched mean, in the I, face. We, we know he knows how to ride a horse. Yeah, so. I imagine the man could take a punch too. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like just yeah, and just yelling about like what he's doing, like just uh, treat, uh, get dragged around like that. Yeah, of course, diabetes, yeah. diabetes. Yeah, but it just seems like it was a, a the parallel of the two. I'm, yeah, just try to put those together. I can no, see that. That's fair. <clears throat> um, I I feel like 
as much as this movie is miserable and terrible to watch, like these are the movies, these are the types of movies that I feel like Quentin Tarantino like should be making. No, I, and actually, you know what? That's an incredibly fair point. You because- know, same with like it, it's similar with like Reservoir Dogs. You know what I mean? It's like a group of people. There's crimes happening. It's kind of like a who done it, who's who, what's what, how'd this happen, you know? Well, yeah. I don't know how you managed to fucking make Channing Tatum look ugly, but, it, you know, <laughs> good job. Um, just adds the misery a little bit more, but, you know, I don't know. These these are the movies, like, maybe maybe make it a little less unpleasant next time so I can actually enjoy it. You know it, what, though? But I at think... the same time, like... Yeah. I think to borrow from what Spencer said earlier, if this is... If shock can carry you to a level of like quality that you need as a filmmaker in Quentin Tarantino's case, this is the example that you would use in my mind. Like I think, I think the Django situation could be mitigated better, but I feel like using that same set of tools and making this movie is more of what he should be doing. And he look, dude, this movie looks great. Like I can't take that away from it. It's fucking gorgeous, but holy shit. Is it not fun to watch? And like fun is a, you know, it's a nebulous term, but it's not even good to watch. Like, I hated the experience of watching it. Again, wholly personal story. I'm not telling anybody not to watch the movie because I kind of feel like you should. Like, mm. just to see what kind of response it elicits from you. And I don't know. I mean, these are the movies that I feel like he is supposed to be making with this set of skills. And I think that is, we're going to get more of that. Like, with before I go on, does anyone have any more Hateful Eight stuff they want to touch on? <laughs> No. <clears throat> All right. We've spent like a hateful 18 minutes talking about it, so we can move ahead. In in that vein, um, the announced as yet unproduced Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, due to come out next year, as we mentioned at the top. Um, this movie is focusing, <clears throat> again, on a very real-life situation and a very tragic event. But it's a single event. Like, there will be, you know, without having seen it, without reading a script or anything, we can't speculate too far, but... This feels like it's going to be more of that. Like, yeah. in, a, in a situation with a lot of moving parts, a lot of characters, with a lot of, you know, underhanded deeds occurring around it and shady dealings. It's, uh, I'll be interested to see how closely this film resembles his more recent production. And I think it's going to be pretty close. Like, in my mind, this is going to be way more Hateful Eight than it's going to be inglorious bastards or something and i don't know if i want to see it anymore like i've gotten to the point now with quentin tarantino where as much as i respect the craft and his his place in it i don't know if i can follow him on this journey and this movie is has a lot of problems in my mind already it's it's gonna be gross (laughs) it's just flat out gonna be gross i'm excited yeah it's already got an all-star cast we got DiCaprio, brad pitt a whole lot of people a whole lot of people in this movie it's gonna be it's gonna be killer. I'm excited. Are you gonna bring up Emil Hirsch? Well, yeah, it was. I was getting to that in the, okay. in the, I guess the post section of what I I wanted to kind of after we've talked about all of this, I wanted to kind of take a minute and talk about Quentin Tarantino, like the filmmaker. We talked about the films, and I think a large part of this we haven't actually done a director episode of the show yet, so this is like a first for us. Yeah. So given that, I think. We we try as hard as we can, you know, on the show to do our due diligence in separating art from artist. Yep. You know, like there are cases where that, you know, that can blend. And I think this is one of them because the artist is so integral in the art. Mm-hmm. You know, like he Quentin Tarantino is literally and figuratively putting himself in all of these movies. Yeah. So I feel like it's important then to talk about what that means, like for the movies and whether or not that impacts how we view them. Mm-hmm. 
I have gotten to the point where it has impacted how I view them. And that is part of the reason I'm not super thrilled with this movie. P- punctuated by the announcement of Emil Hirsch being cast in some sort of role in this. The For anyone not familiar, um, Emil Hirsch, perhaps you remember him from Speed Racer or something. Um, <clears throat> what was, was he in Wild? Was that the movie that we'd probably recognize in, him into from? Into the Wild. Into, into the, the wild. wild? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, his most notable roles, Speed Racer and some other movies. The movie. Girl Next Door. Sure. Everybody really so, loved that movie. Back uh, my man's been in movie jail for a couple of years because he was convicted, rightly, <clears throat> of assaulting, um, I, forgive me for forgetting her name, but uh, ostensibly choked out a woman at a party, like in front of people and everyone uh, at a Sundance event a few years ago. Convicted. This isn't like this isn't substantial. Like um, you know, unsubstantiated. Like, no speculation. No speculation this necessary. Happened. This happened. It is on record. He had something like a slap on the wrist and some money he paid and a couple of hours of anger management because that helps. Um, yeah, man, it's not a good look. I, I feel like for everything, every criticism that Quentin Tarantino gets for the perception of white privilege and white male privilege in Hollywood mm-hmm. is being crystallized by something like this happening. And I feel that if we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's choices and how, you know, he's, he can be the one to make movies like this because of what he brings to them. And because he has that tablet, because he has the width, you know, and the the breath of having that sort of popularity around him, he also has to be responsible for making choices like this. Like, this is a bad look, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why he can't rationalize that. Because that is a huge thing with him and his criticisms. He, With him taking on his criticisms, he finds a way to defend himself in nearly every single case. Right. I don't know what you can say to this, like, as Quentin Tarantino. There's this indefensible. <laughs> like, I think that... Uh, casting options are very wide and there's when I don't know my concern is that after watching the film I'm gonna see the character played and be like dude that could have been filled by literally anybody else yeah there's nothing fucking Um, special about Speed Racer right we don't really need Emil Hirsch there (laughs) on the off chance though that like I watched the film and I'm like that was a perfect fit maybe then I'll understand it and I'll be able to make that like cognitive dissonance like yeah okay i get it the chances of that happening are so slim it would have to be the greatest individual performance in a minor role ever. and like, tarantino when you're listening it better be because if it's not like he's gonna lose so much just status for not doing his role i think he know? already has i mean like this is also an extension of him being in the news recently when the the harvey weinstein allegations became mm-hmm. public knowledge uh, he acknowledged that he has been aware of this for decades. Like, you know, Mira Servino in the mid nineties at the time he was dating her, uh, who disappeared shortly after this stuff became public knowledge then because she was effectively blackballed by the industry. Uh, he knew about it then did nothing to try to take his, you know, his power in any way and try to shape that into something productive, use the Weinstein company to, become a bajillionaire and an incredibly important filmmaker and is only now able to look back on it and say, I should have done something like, right. Yes, you should have, but admitting it now doesn't make you better for it. It like, just makes himself. It makes you look worse like yeah. in a way. It's, there are a lot of problems and I think it is worth discussing at the end of this, like, because I'm going to tie it into what we are talking about. I, at the end of watching all these movies and at the end of discussing Quentin Tarantino at length, the filmmaker and the films, I can't enjoy these movies the same way I used to enjoy them. I just can't. Like, I, you know, 
save Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Not a single one of these movies held up the way I wanted it to on rewatching. I'm sorry, and Glorious Bastards also. Even with its problems, I'm still I'm still mostly in on that movie because I think it's so great. But everything else, man, I'm just I can't anymore. Like I can't defend the man. I can't defend the choices. I'm at an impasse now where I'm just like, I don't think I like Quentin Tarantino movies anymore. And so, that makes me really fucking sad. I preach often separate like the man from his craft. I totally agree I with you. Do it. And I can't. it's getting hard. Well, so the, with like the Kevin Spacey issues that arose, uh, I was like, yeah, that's terrible. Don't support him. Separate the man from his art. So like, if I go back and watch American beauty, a great movie, I, I still can't <laughs> enjoy it as much as I did pre-allegations i when you talked about that on the laugh track episode you guys talked about that yeah. and how hard it was for you guys it was just you watch it totally differently now and both yeah. you and um you and both gave referred to that and even with your favorite boy uh timothy oh was it oplant oliphant oliphant who's going to be in this movie yeah that's that's saying something i mean it, sure for for what it's worth because i know you but it, it, ultimately it's not about us though that's no, like that's the thing that right. is the di- most difficult part for me to accept like it isn't about how I feel about watching these movies because bad people have done bad things right. and other people have been affected. That's the problem. And that it continues to go largely unchecked, you know, mm-hmm. until now is the real issue. Yeah. I mean, you know. I'm glad people are taking Tarantino to task for casting. Absolutely. Because I agree. if this was five years ago, no Nobody, one would have batted an eye. Like, a few <laughs> people on the internet would have been like, well, fuck this guy. But then everybody would have been like, sit down and then everybody would have carried on like fine. Right. Yeah. So... I mean, I'm glad people are taking him to task for it, but at the same time, like, I can't, I can't, I can understand that people like Kevin Spacey, like, turn in good performances and things in the past, but I can never. I've never liked Kevin Spacey, so that's just, again. I'm just using him as an example because he already got it. Right, I just can't go back and, like, enjoy it. It's hard, like, we, we can say separate the man from his art, but going back and watching the man that you now have knowledge did that shit is I don't like, fucking care about your art if you're a piece of right. shit. It's like, like that's just how I feel about it's it. Difficult. Like if, if, yeah. if you're a fucking rapist, I don't fucking care about your art. Well, yeah, and the worst part is is like with things like this, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah, I want to see it cuz it's a Tarantino movie, but knowing that I'm going to go pay 10 bucks for a ticket and everybody's getting paid is like you know. That and the subject matter itself like another goddamn glorified woman's death. Yeah. Like it's I don't know how much more of this I can take from Quentin Tarantino or films at large, but specifically Quentin Tarantino. Like, my man, you have mined this to death. Like, I just, I can't imagine how this is going to improve any part of that storytelling. You can't because it's awful. So, yeah, no, because I, 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 like you said, I'm like, I'm curious to see, but like, I just, I just know that it's not going to be handled the right way. Like, if you're going to make a, like, a biopic about, like, what happened, like, that's a story that's been told. Like, we all know what happened. We all know it was fucking disgusting. But are you going to tell it from, like, Charles Manson's point of view? Well, like, I feel like... Are I, you going to sympathize with that character? No. Or are we going to see, like, Sharon Tate? The, way, the like, way the movie looks like it's being positioned with Leonardo DiCaprio being the main role, it's mm-hmm. kind of about the neighbors. Like, he okay. is... He is playing. These are all real life characters. So he is playing the the neighbors of the Tate, mm-hmm. the household. You know. So I, you know, how far that will go? Again, we can only guess. So we can't get too far into that. But I don't know, man. I mean, I guess we could sit here and talk about this forever, yeah, but we I, can't. So in a in a kind of a haphazard way to close this, <laughs> like because we've kind of gotten off the beaten path again. Um, if we are going, then we can 
we can say we've aired our grievances and our you know the pro- the pros and cons. If we take a minute then to just talk about the films as we had started, I set up at the top near the top that Quentin Tarantino was potentially like the most important modern filmmaker. Is that far off? I mean, is that is that like an unt- untoward statement to make? Do you think he is as important as culturally he seems to be accepted? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right on that one. I think the biggest criticism he gets is that a lot of his films are the same because they are. Um, but like, you know, saying that's like saying Alfred Hitchcock is bad because like all of his movies are crime mysteries, you know? Well, not all of them, but the notable ones. Yeah, and it's like, well, what about Scorsese? Like, Christian see, like theme of redemption. Like, I mean, you know, they've got their niche. And sure, they, they I mean, hey man, any artist worth anything probably has a thing they fall back on. Like, Yeah, absolutely. You, you write what you know. Yeah. So, I won't fault him for that. But What, what about uh, Sin City, though? Um, I, Yeah, we can talk about Sin City. He has a very small part to play in that, though. He only yeah. directed a sequence. Um. I don't know, Sin City's fine. Was it the Yellow Bastard one? <laughs> no, it's the Clive Owen, like, driving to the tar pits yeah. sequence. With, it's, like, like, the worst one. Yeah, well. <laughs> I love the movie, though. There you I, go. I like sure, I love Sin City. Too, Sin City's like, rad, but... That's, like, the most boring part is when he's in the tar pits, and you're like, what? How do you feel about Quentin Tarantino, the actor? Uh, I'm largely forgettable. I mean, I, I appreciate... I appreciate his earlier earlier cameo appearances and things that aren't his. Like I like, you know, from Dust Till Dawn mm-hmm. or pretty much any Robert Rodriguez thing, you know, like Desperado or something like that. But he was so good in Glorious Bastards. His terrible eight Australian accent in Django That's too. So oh weird. It's terrible. <laughs> I, when he showed up in that movie, I was like, the fuck like, okay, cool, you wanna be in your movies, you want a little cameo, I get it, but why are you fucking Australian? Like, <laughs> who made that choice? Like he made that choice. I know, I know, but like, why? Why? Like, I guess. Why not? Why? Because he wants to go. Oh, I might. You know. Well, it kept him from saying the N word. Like, ironically, <laughs> in the movie where everybody gets to say it, he does not, and that is a choice. Make no mistake. My man knows what is happening here yeah. and willfully chooses not to do it, even though go. he has done He's it previously. <laughs> That's all it took. It took twenty years in an Australian cameo, but. That that's it. All sins are forgiven. Fuck you, Quentin Tarantino. That's <laughs> that's as good a place to end as any. Um, Seriously, if I ever saw him in public, I'd probably be like, "Dude." Well, well he's fuck listening you. right now, so right. Let you him can know. tell him whatever you want. Oh, We're I being recorded said it too. several goddamn times. Fuck you, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> so at the wrap, when we have when we have all gone through and heated discussion, we like to then reflect by seeing if our opinions from have changed through the course of conversation. Um, as I had said earlier, I came into this pretty much assumed, like before I started saying he was definitely one of the greatest filmmakers ever, someone I held in really high esteem, someone Roger played music about. I didn't touch Some, him, you know, something that I someone that I definitely had a reverence for in his filmmaking and I put him at fairly rated. I'm going to stay there because I think in the whole course of me watching this stuff again and talking about all of this with all of you I can't move too far into either category and feel comfortable about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's overrated. Like I, I understand that aspects of his filmmaking are overrated, and I think him as a director has habits that are bad. But that doesn't negate the fact that he made one of my favorite movies of all time and that he has also done a lot to further filmmaking in his way. Like He is definitely an influence that can't be 
under or overstated. So I have to stay in the same place. We'll just go ahead and move around the table. So, like, when I was preparing for this, um, I was, like, I totally thought there would be more people or anybody that thought he was overrated. Um, And that kind of swayed my decision to choose underrated and kind of, like, find a different, like, hit it from a different angle. Um, Because, obviously, like, I wanted to go with something I did believe in. And I do believe, truly, that he is underrated in aspects. Um, And I think that's mostly because I think the population of people who actually give a shit about films as much as we do does not match the average moviegoer. Um, And because of that, I feel like in the movie world, uh, he definitely is still underrated as are many other directors. People will go and they'll see Inglorious Bastards and they'll be like, yeah, I love that movie. But like at the same time, do you love it because it was great or do you recognize that it was a Tarantino masterpiece? You know, um, <laughs> just because of that, I, right. I still think he's pretty underrated because um, not so much of his fault, but like just the environment of directors. Like I could take that stance on any director, you know? Okay. Very interesting. I'm staying fairly rated. Um, I think our conversation kind of proved my earlier point where it's everyone grabs something different from each movie. So for a movie you like, even though you're a film goer, I hate and vice versa. And then it also divides us, the general and the general public uh, movie people and you know them. So he stays the same. Fairly rated. Yeah, that's probably fair. I'll, I'll say fairly rated because I know a lot of people think he fucking sucks and a lot of people think he's the best ever. I'm an average moviegoer. Like, mm-hmm. that is me. And I, I'll i go and see a Tarantino movie and you're right. Like, I, I will enjoy those things. I think I'm... I, I probably notice things in movies more than an average moviegoer, but I'm not, like... I haven't seen, like, every film ever or, or anything like that by any means, but... I mean, I think what he does, he does very well. I just wish he was more responsible, you know, as a filmmaker um, with some of the content that he deals with. I think that's fair. Roger, take us home. You know, after the last half hour, I, a lot of this stuff I didn't, I didn't know was coming to light because I didn't, I didn't read the the stuff that was coming out about him. I mean, I, I, like, I know for a fact that Tarantino had the stuff we did with Mina Savino is unforgivable and that's kind of well it wasn't anything he did to be well, fair uh, yeah but that's true he, i but, mean specifically he didn't come to her defense when right he should have yeah and, and, didn't, and didn't do anything to change the problem and i remember reading as well that she not only have her career but she psychologically too it's just it took a toll sure. on her so but if i'm looking at like it's body of work pulp fiction is one of my favorite movies but Watching, like, I didn't really time in about during uh, Dangle Unchained a little bit in the Hateful Eight. Those movies are just kind of, I don't know, it's just too much of a, hey, let's find a way to kill somebody, a different way to do it. So, but that being said, it is cool to see Kurt Russell working again, kind of on a regular basis. <laughs> Honestly, I, I really enjoy Kurt Russell. No, um, no argument here. Yeah, you know, but uh, I think he's, I think I go still, I go probably go more than fairly rated, and his, his place is. You know, set up, and he's done a lot of great work with other you know, other directors. Robert Rodriguez comes to mind, and I do like that collaboration effort. But I mean, as much as he says he's anti-establishment, he is the establishment. So he has. It's funny that he started. It is. It is good to look at it that way. He started as an anti-establishment director and has more or less become the establishment with which other directors work from. Like 
in a very small period of time. Only across like nine films, you know. So make of that what you will. I I don't know. We didn't talk a whole lot about the indiness of Tarantino, but we're not gonna because the show is over. So all things being fair or overrated or underrated, um, this was a blast. I am super happy you guys made the time and came on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. Um, please, by all means, let us know where we can find you. Give us some plugs for you guys. The Laugh Tracks on Instagram. Also, our YouTube channel, The Laugh Tracks. Good, and good. Twitter and Snapchat also are all the same. Thing. Before, which one of you handles your Twitter? <laughs> It's a collaboration. It's a collection of oh, both. Yeah, somebody is ridiculous. <laughs> that would be <laughs> Okay. Probably me. Probably. Yeah. Entertaining, but. Is it at the, at the Laugh Tracks then? Is that your Twitter? Yeah. All right. Well, for ridiculous Twitter, please check out at the Laugh Tracks. And, you know, their show and ours on the SRD network of podcasts, com. Also, check us out and Laugh Tracks also. I kept, keep forgetting to make, I'll make sure I get you guys both in because I want to you for that. We do appreciate um, it. You know, check us out on Podcast Addict or whatever. Was that what it's called? So uh, you, uh, you can check us out on Podcast Addict. You're better at this than me. Uh, so Podcast Addict, Google Apps, or Google Podcasts, which is a new thing that just rolled out recently. So uh, if you just have an Android phone, go to Google Play Store, click on Google Podcasts, and uh, if you search for us, com, you can actually play from search now. So Neat. That's a feature, yeah. So if, uh, for anybody out there, but the usual, the iTunes, the TuneIn. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all other stuff, yeah, Podbean. Yeah. Uh, Podbeans, iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at OverUnderFair. Uh, email us at OverUnderFairPod at gmail.com. You guys know all this stuff by now. We've told you a thousand times, but we'll keep telling you because we love you and we want you to. I mean, probably don't email us because I never check it. But you know, I check it. I'm waiting for the day. Dave's on the email. Someone's gonna let me know, and when that day comes, you're all gonna fucking know about it. So, (laughs) all things being all things being talked about and everything, uh, thank you guys again so much for being on. Hope to do this again in the future. Yep. Uh, Thanks to Roger and Lacey for, as always, making our show great. And thank myself for being here also. So for everybody collected at the table, I am Dave. This is everyone. We have been over under fair. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again.